Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I am your host, Ken M. Joining me in the studio, as always, it's the co-host, it's Padawan J. Feeling a lot better this week, I must say. Absolutely. You're sounding better, looking a lot better. You definitely survived the head cold. Shout out yeah. to Brian from Cheers to Comics, who did spot filling duty on us last week. Definitely appreciate that episode, filling. So it's good to have you back, though, Pat. And also returning, it is your coach. It is my coach. It is the coach. Coach Duffy. This thing on? We're yes. good now? Yes. All right. Yeah, we're, we're good. I know that sometimes we have to get you on <laughs> Skype, so we got to make sure when you're in studio, we got to turn the mic on. It's one of the fun things we do, folks. We do it live here on the ODPH. So let's waste no more time, shall we? Join in the conversation. You can join us on social media via our social media links. You can find them on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. So remember, join in on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and always use the hashtag ODPH because we have a lot to discuss. Biggest sports story going on right now, because that's what we're going to talk about this episode, is NFL free agency is looming. Even though it hasn't officially started for like another six days. It hasn't, but there's been some moves going on. There's going to be some moving and shaking going on. Some moves and grooves, as the kids like to say. Yes, absolutely. So we are going to kind of break down where we think everybody's going. And for me, the biggest linchpin about where players are going to fall is falling on the shoulders of one Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. So, Pad, what's your feelings on this? I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. He's staying in New England. I just can't for the life of me imagine that at 40, what, two years old now? Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to go to a new team, new system, new head coach, new receivers, new this, new that, new everything. I think he's testing it. He's seeing what you know what's out there. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, he's going to end up back in New England and he's going to finish out his career there. Coach, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it. I mean, let's be real. It's it's his time right now. He's earned free agency, you know. And just like LeBron did when he, you know, had his free agency with the Cavaliers, it's fun to enjoy this. I right. mean, he wasn't heavily recruited. Has obviously only signed extensions, so he's never really faced free agency. He's and, never had free agency. Period. Right. He's always signed extensions. So I mean, right now it's his time to get to be the bell of the ball. I mean, obviously there's a lot of teams that are um, capable of uh, offering him decent contracts with decent teams. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tennessee is a team that comes right off of, you know, the top of my head that would be a team that, you know, he would fill in very nicely with. Uh, good run game. Yeah. Solid wide receivers. Not yeah. great, but good. And, you know, decent tight ends. Compar the receivers, I'd say, are comparable to New England. Sure, they're, absolutely. They're good. They're, they're, they're nothing flashy, but they'll get the job done. However, when you can <laughs> run the ball 40 times a game with Derrick Henry, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. got to be a little weight off your shoulders, you know? Yeah. And obviously the lust and lure of Las Vegas and those new Raiders out there, mm -hmm. you know, and that great song that came out on YouTube, that's really going to be hard to say no to. That uh, If you haven't seen it, just Google search Las Vegas Raiders song on YouTube. It's a one-of-a-kind jam that I think nobody else can top. Um, so that's going to be hard to say no to that song. And, and the you know, everything that will come with being the quarterback of the new, you know, Las Vegas Raiders. And mm -hmm. obviously the Chargers got money too. And they've yeah. already said that they're willing to offer big-time money to uh, Tom Brady. I don't think that that fits him as much as, no. like, 
uh, Tennessee. I mean, especially, I mean, you got Vrabel there. You've got a friendship. You've got a kinship. You know, you know each other. You played with each other. You won Super Bowls together. So, I mean, if there was any team, and I mean, I'm, I would assume that if Tom Brady went there, Vrabel would say, here's the keys to the offense. You drive. Right. Oh, and yeah. he would just let yeah. him, whatever, in, whatever system yeah. or uh, play calling or set that they, that he would want to run. I'm sure Vrabel would tell whoever the offensive coordinator is currently, hey, we're going to defer to Tom here and, mm-hmm. and let him do his thing. Just, a la Peyton Manning when yeah. he went to Denver. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it was the same way. John Elway was like, I know we've got coaches in place, but, you know, we'll give you reign to the offense. And obviously that worked out well for them. So that's kind of – that's where I would put Tom Brady. I, I'm leaning towards him coming back, though. Oh, yeah. But if anybody, if he went anywhere, it beat Tennessee to me. Yeah, no, Tennessee just seems to make the most sense because you look at the Chargers and, okay, you know, eh, maybe, but just don't see it happening. Vegas is honestly a step down, in my opinion, from where he would be in New England or Tennessee. And just the thing with this whole scenario is it's I, I get the fan, the, the fan base both in New England and the NFL is rabid to figure out where he's going. I mean, it's gotten to the point that his wife, Giselle, did a, a Q&A on uh, Instagram like a week or two ago. And somebody went and asked her, you know, where are you gonna where are you gonna be living? Where are your kids gonna be going to school? You know, in the fall, and you're just trying to get out of her like where Tom was thinking about going, and you know, Giselle was smarter than that and didn't give an answer. She's like, oh, wherever my husband decides to play. But I did love the story I saw um, over the weekend. I believe it was now. Don't get angry at me. Just tell the story. Charlie Weiss was on a radio show where he was on something, and it, this got brought up. And put, the, put the chair down, well, well, I mean, what did he know? Probably well, nothing. He, put the chair down, he, coach. He texted Tom, and basically nobody knows anything. And so to all these stories coming out, going for clicks and views and all this, about, oh, he's thinking about doing this. Oh, he's thinking about doing that. They don't know well, nothing. And it's smart for his camp to not tilt <laughs> their hand to anything. I mean, just yeah. – and it it literally the blueprint's already out there for how to handle free agency. Just don't do the announcement like LeBron did. Oh, but on. everything else yeah. he did was perfect. You have teams come to you, mm-hmm. and you have them make a PowerPoint presentation of why it makes sense for you to join that team. And you can either sit in the meeting or have your agent sit there and listen and recap. You know what the meeting was, mm-hmm. and make your decision from there. Yeah. Well, it all goes down to Brady is going to be the most sought-after quarterback on the free agent market, and that's why we're kind of let off with him. Arguably the most sought-after free agent in the last, what, 25 years? I would definitely. I mean, since, uh, free, since free agency's been a thing? I wouldn't say 20. I wouldn't say about that. But I, I would definitely say he's the most lucrative quarterback that's been a free agent. Yeah. I'll go with that stance more so, uh, Pat. Just because with Brady and being at his age with his pedigree, you know that wherever he winds up going, he's going to go to an instant Super Bowl contender. He's not going to a rebuilding team no. by any stretch of no. the imagination. God, no. Well, I'm, that's why I'm saying Las Vegas, although it's was solid last year and probably surprised a lot of people, they got a lot of money that they can toss his way. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if, it, if anything pushed the needle – the money would be the thing, I guess. Besides, you know, but, uh, the I, fact that Oak, that Las Vegas can't offer a winning team, but they can offer you Oogle's amount of a dump truck of money, that might be the attractive thing. But yeah, I mean, uh, that's just not, that's just not his mo though. I mean, right. you look at over the years, he could have gotten a lucrative contract, you know, a dozen times over. He's never done that. He's gotten the he's gotten what he feels is fair and what can help the team out. 
and he's always been about winning. He's never been about the big paycheck, the big contract, nope. making the money. I mean, he's got enough money. And that's what was always smart about him was because he was willing to defer so they could go out and get him yeah. players around yeah. him. And that's something that New England – I mean, obviously they've tried to make some swings on wide receivers that just haven't panned out. You know, the trade – um, for uh, what's his face out of Los Angeles midway through the year Brandon last Cooks. year, Brandon, yeah, Cooks. He didn't pan out. Um, then they tried to bring in Antonio Brown. That didn't pan out. So I think there was one year they tried Michael Floyd. Yeah, jo- yeah, Ma- Michael Flo- Josh Gordon. Yeah. You know, so they've they've tried and they've swung and missed, unfortunately. But they've given the they've tried. You know, yeah. so I mean, it's not like you know, and obviously well, Gronkowski. That's, and that, well, that's the thing I always say with the, the Patriots is everyone goes, "Oh, you know, the Patriots can fix anybody. They can make anybody look." What they did with Randy Moss, I'm like, okay, yeah, Randy Moss is a good example, but for every Randy Moss, there's you know, uh, Albert Hainsworth, right? There, there's a, a Josh Gordon. There's an Antonio well, Brown. I mean, Josh Gordon. I don't see. That's the thing though. Like Josh Gordon was playing well, yeah, and they and then when they picked up Antonio Brown, they put him for the two, you know, inactive spots, and it was like. <laughs> That didn't make a lot of sense, and then no. obviously they reactivated him and only to ultimately cut him. So, and I know they drafted the wide receiver out of Ole Miss, yeah, um, who played well towards the end of the year, but obviously it was a little too, you know, yeah, too was, little too hurt. late. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. hurt for most of the year. Um, so, and Gronkowski retiring really, yeah, you know, blew up any game plan that they right. had. And, you know, and, I mean, you know, I know they brought back Ben Watson, and Ben Watson, very good tight end, you know, very serviceable, but nowhere near the level of Gronkowski. Yeah, he's not Gronk. No, no, he's not Gronk by any means. So this is where we say, for Brady to go to a different team, they have to be loaded and ready to win right now. Looking at the teams that need a quarterback in free agency, because if you take a quick look at the list of free agent quarterbacks, that'll kind of give you a tendency of, okay, what's open on the market. Obviously, yeah. New Orleans is a place that could have been a destination had uh, Drew Brees not declared he was Can coming back. Can you imagine Brady with that offense? That's why I'm saying Good God. that that could have been something. Because I mean, not he, not that he still has the arm strength he he had, you know, the previous years, but he could still make some moves down there. Oh yeah, and that would be an easy fit for him. But they have announced Drew Brees said he wants to come yep. back for one more year. Yep. So that kind of rules the equation out. Tennessee is an intriguing destination. Obviously, he knows Mike Rabel, the head coach from years playing in New England. Mm-hmm. And would he want to jump into that offense? Debatable. Is it to say I mean, that if it, I'm Tom Brady at 42 and have Derrick Henry behind me, yes, please. It's a very it'd be <laughs> a very dynamic and interesting you know situation because Brady can obviously still throw the ball. He can still you know when his receivers are healthy, mm-hmm. you know he can still throw the ball. He can still sling it around the yard. But at the same token, you know you don't really know what you're going to get. Are you going to get the Tom Brady who's throwing 20, 30 times a game for? Two, three hundred yards, or are you going to get the one who throws that? Ah, he throws a little less, and Derrick Henry's running the ball down your throat. It's a very tough, you know, thing to plan for. Well, that's the thing, though. Like <laughs> the problem with this team last year was, and the Tennessee team, you know, if we will, real quick, was, you know, once they were down, they couldn't come back. Right. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick could not lead you down the field to score touchdowns. Right. So Tannehill, Tan- Ryan Tannehill, right? So let's just say, you know, Tennessee's down by two scores, and now you've got Tom Brady back there mm-hmm. instead of Tannehill. Yeah, now it's still a ball game. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, oh, and yeah. Derrick Henry can still be utilized to run the ball. So it's like, yeah, that's a huge upgrade. And I mean, for me, if I'm Tom Brady, that's a very attractive because ultimately, all right, if I'm if we're losing, I know that I got to bring us back in the game, and that's what quarterbacks have to do anyway. I mean, he does that in his sleep, right? But if they're winning, 
I don't have to worry about still making completions to continue the clock. I can defer to Derrick Henry and let him just chew up five to six minutes on a drive, kick a field goal, go up two scores. You know, I mean, so that's the thing where it's like as a 42-year-old quarterback, not having to throw 40 times a game, period, like he did last year. Right. You know? Right. So, I mean, this is where it kind of debates where he could end up. And like I said, Tennessee would be an ideal landing spot for him if he didn't go back to New England. The Raiders are a dark horse in this because if, – if, if we're using horse betting terms, they're like 50-1. to one. Yeah, but, I mean, it's all about if he's just looking for a payday. But if he's looking for a payday, but it also depends on the other moves they do in the offseason. Sure. <laughs> because as it goes with a new franchise moving to a new city – Sometimes they'll gravitate towards free agents, and that yeah. will that will drive some people to go there. I mean, taking a look at who else is on the open market, obviously the biggest wide receiver out there is Amari Cooper, mm-hmm. in my opinion, and obviously whatever's going to happen with Dallas and him is up in the air. I mean, Dallas is still Dallas is a gonna, huge difference from them and yeah. Dak Prescott. I mean, the thing of it is, though, is, okay, yeah, you, Dallas and Jerry Jones might want Amari Cooper back, but it's go, it's ultimately like we say with anything else with the Dallas Cowboys. Between the chunk of pie you're, you're, ch- you're cutting up for Zeke and ultimately the chunk of pie you're cutting up for Dak, is there going to be enough pie left for everybody else? Well, and that's the biggest argument, too, and I could see Cooper going back to the Raiders organization. I, it, it would be a lot, though, but it also depends on what the money is going to be involved. I actually, uh, over, uh, somebody was talking on one of the you know shows, whether it was, I think it might have been the NFL Network <coughs> or it might have been ESPN, but they said the greatest weapon for a team heading into free agency is being a team that is a perennial contender uh-huh. with a quarterback on rookie deal. Mm-hmm. That is the ultimate, like, if you have that, you are already above and beyond where other teams are because now one-third of your salary is, cap is not going to go towards a quarterback. So you can toss money at these guys, and then ultimately when uh, said quarterback becomes you know, uh, uh, on that restricted free agency, then it's like, all right, now you got to pay him, and now you can, but hopefully you've already made you know one a little bit. So that way you've already had success. So when you have to sacrifice you know, depth, you know, you ultimately already have a championship under your belt. One would think so, and especially if you look at the case with Dallas, that Dak had been offered a contract this week and turned it down. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is going to get to be a messy yeah. play of however it's going to end up because he's going to get paid no matter where he goes. It's just a matter of who. It's just a matter of who and how much because he's not going to get $40 million a year. No. I, I can't see. No. Jerry Jones giving him forty. I can't. I if he'd can't if he'd been, if he'd been lighting up the stat lines and and making you know NFC Championship runs and making a Super Bowl run and all you know maybe winning an MVP. I'm like, all right, you got a conversation. But he's had a good season and he's had a good career. You know, very very serviceable. You know, you know, borderline the top tier, elite tier quarterback. You know, he's not quite there yet, at least in my eyes. But in terms of like, oh yeah, this guy's worth forty million a year. No. No, I can't. I mean, justify doing that. No, I mean, let's just think about that Buffalo game. I mean, that's a really great example of a team that focused on taking Zeke out of the game, mm. leaving it on Dak Prescott's shoulders to win, and they couldn't do it. Right. So, I mean, to me, forty million a year is nuts. I mean, really, honestly, besides maybe like Mahomes and right Russell Wilson, I don't think. I think it's unnecessary to pay quarterback that much because, I mean, ultimately, you're sacrificing so many things for one position. I mean, 
It does, like a perfect example is the Rangers, Ken. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've talked about this before. I mean, Henrik's eating one third of the cap up, and look what they have to do every single year. They got to scrape and scrap just to make enough money to to get a team together. That you know, that third and fourth line has to be sacrificed just so they can pay. You know, Henrik, who's not even playing right now. I mean, the Giants. You know, they had Eli Manning on the books for nineteen million. Took what four? You know, four games worth of snaps. Mm-hmm. It's just, why invest so much? And I understand, like, Russell Wilson can win you a game on his legs alone. You know, yeah. and, and uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is a freak. You know, and Lamar Jackson, when he ultimately becomes a free agent, pay him. But, like, to sit here and be like, all right, we've got $60 million in cap space and we're going to spend 40 of it on a quarterback. Right. It's bad business. That's bad. Yeah, it's bad business. Exactly. And that's where the Patriots have been so well with Brady taking less money to stay. Right. Mm-hmm. Which he understands that big picture. And this is why we say he's going to be the biggest free agent going when free agency is available next week. That wherever he goes is going to set the pace. Because I fully predict in, in my unofficial ODPH prediction, he goes back to New England. Yeah. He's testing the water to see how New England is going to try enticing him to come back. And I think that that is smart on his play. I think if you take a look at the other quarterbacks that are out there, and the one that jumps to me is Teddy Bridgewater because he could start for certain teams right now. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. But he is going to be the one, I think, after Brady because Breeze has already said he's coming back. Bridgewater is going to be the one that has the most upside. Well, don't forget about Rivers. Phillip Rivers, (laughs) you don't know at this stage. (laughs) He was so bad last year. That's the thing. I mean, it was like he looked washed. He looked worse than Eli did. But that's the thing. He needs to get behind an offensive line that can protect him. I think the most enticing name of that quarterback list is somebody who's probably not even listed on it, Tyson Hill. That is true, the one from uh, New Orleans. Yeah, dual weapon, you know, obviously showed that he could play the quarterback position. Arguably in that game against Minnesota was playing better in that divisional round playoff game that, you know, um, probably should have stayed in the game at that point, but – he can do multiple things for you. I, I think that's an asset of the uh, um, asset of uh, a player that is uh, definitely you know worth pursuing as far as you know whether you have a number one quarterback and looking for a solid backup or you know you're looking for somebody that can you know run a little bit more of the of uh, spread offense. Where I would say is this: I think that he winds up staying in New Orleans and he stays another year behind Breeze. Uh, he already said he wants to be a starter, though. He could say that. I mean, wants, if Sean Payton, I listen. If Sean Payton sits you down in the room and says, "Hey, listen, <coughs> you know, Teddy Bridgewater is gone. You're you you are going to be the heir apparent." I mean, he's yeah. in his 30s, so it's not like he's you, you know getting any younger. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so I understand his feeling of like Ooh. it's now or never. But I'm noticed. I'm just looking at a list on ESPN.com of uh, they got a list here of the, what they say are the you know the top. 50 uh, free agency, free agents. Uh, interesting one, uh, Derrick Henry. Yeah, he's going to get paid. Yeah, uh, but he's he's, uh, he's got an expiring contract, so could be a little interesting, you know, wrench in the, in the thing for Tennessee there. Right, but I don't see him leaving by any. Oh, no. God, no. Like, they're going to have to pay him, though. They'll give him a blank check. Yeah. That's that's the thing. He There's no way you take him out of that dynamic. I got to, if I, if I can real quick, because I just want to make sure that I get to this and vent real quick. Uh, Giants and Leonard Williams that they traded the Jets a third and fifth round pick for. Uh-huh. Pending free agent, right? Mm-hmm. Looking at what he's uh, now, the Giants have cap space. They got a decent amount. Not, I mean, it's not. Pro- I think it's top five uh, of all the NFL teams as far as cap space. But you know, they got a lot of money to work with. 
He wants $16 million a year Oof. for being a defensive lineman with two freaking sacks. Now, Good luck. Now, Gettleman here, in all his wisdom and ingenuity, set, thought to himself, and you know, it's being reported that, you know, he, he actually said this to the media, well, if he walks, then we will get a uh, comp- uh, compensation pick in the draft because that's how the later rounds work, work. depending on uh, players' um, you know, statistics. They get associated compensatory picks in the later rounds of the draft. Well, because Williams only had played half of a season with the Giants, mm. he has not earned that compensatory pick mm. for the Giants. Oh. So that third and fifth round pick that they thought he would have gotten back had he left in free agency, the Giants won't get. So basically, they would have given up a third and a fifth for nothing. And that's Gettleman all of his wisdom, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're a Giants fan, just know the fact that if they don't re-sign Williams, then they've they traded him for nothing. And, and that, the Jets look like rocket science, rocket scientists. And that could possibly happen. I mean, that's embarrassing. Wild, that's the wild thing about free agency that yeah. everybody waits till after the combine, so they have their players in mind who they want to draft. Well, they're not even. I mean, the Giants aren't. They're not even ballpark. <laughs> they didn't even offer anything close to sixteen. Oh right. Yeah. But they're obviously going in this thinking, okay, if we're not going to match the sixteen offer, we have somebody else in mind. Right. And right. That, yeah. And that's what I'm right. touching. And about. that's and that's when he said it. He said it at the combine, or he said it uh, midway through the year because they were like, why would you give up a third and a fifth for a guy? Who's pending free agency? Who has never put up more than six sacks in a season? Yeah, and you know he's like, "Well, we're going to get a compensatory pick." Not so fast, my friend. Right, you're not going to have it. But obviously, with them going in with that mentality that okay, you've now just lost it, you have to go on the data that you came back with from the NFL Combine and taking a look at the class that's out there. What makes the most sense moving forward? Because for some players, you're not going to be resigning with your teams. Well, I mean, for the Giants, it's train back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, but for different teams, it's different things. Right. And that's the wild side about it because, like I say, after the quarterback position, the running back one is kind of, well, not really any two crazy noble names that we think are really going to drive the needle, except for me is Melvin Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they just signed Austin Elker. Right. To a fat to, deal. To a big deal. So Gordon and is I mean, gone. But <laughs> the thing with Gordon was, too, is that obviously he had that huge holdout mm-hmm. and didn't play very well last year after the holdout, which goes to show that holding out does not yield you anything because he probably lost. You know, that Elker deal could have been his deal yep, had right. he had played through last season. So, yeah, and Le'Veon Bell is the same situation. You know, these guys hold out. Ultimately, it cost them. Versus what they probably would have made had they came in, played, had a great year on a contract year, mm. and you know gotten paid. Which I understand, respect. Like, don't sit here and say that I'm crushing the players for sitting out. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, yeah, you have now two examples of guys coming back from holdouts to earn less money than what they thought they were going to make in free agency. No, yeah, just I mean, saying. I'm looking at a list here from Spotrack.com. I mean, there, like you said, Ken, there's no real oh, you know, holy crap names. Like you got to go get this guy. But I mean, there's some name, interesting names on there. Lamar Miller from Houston's on there. Uh, Lashawn McCoy, Carlos Hyde, Melvin Gordon, like you mentioned. Well, let's talk about Melvin Gordon in Kansas City. That would make a lot of sense. Ooh. Yeah, that Ooh. Would, they need to get a younger, dynamic back. They need can, a dynamic back in that offense. Yeah, and like, that is him. Like I said, maybe not so much younger, but there's still tread well, on Gordon's right. And there's consistency there. There's a body of work versus. I mean, obviously, what's his face played very well in the Super Bowl. Johnson mm-hmm. played right. very, very well in the Super Bowl. But could you imagine a Melvin Gordon back there with what they were able to do with Kareem Hunt back there before? Yeah, yeah. 
be huge. It would be Oof. absolutely huge. So they have to kind of look at that going into free agency as well. I mean, if you look at all the skill positions, wide receiver, the biggest one is A.J. Green to me. Right, but you, uh, but uh, you already got stories coming out of, what is it, uh, Cincinnati that Joe Burrows wants him to stay in Cincinnati or something like that? <laughs> well, A.J. Uh, Green uh, want to stay in but Cincinnati? But that's the thing. He'll probably get franchised. The only thing I would watch there is I don't doubt a Patriots-like move to get him and via trade. I yeah. mean, that would be a Patriot move, but, I mean, that's a second and a fourth for a wide receiver that's coming off of a major leg injury. That's but, not – But if it's enough to entice Tom Brady to come right, back, right. That's, that's the big thing which I'm saying. They're willing to sacrifice. No, I mean, I, yeah. I get what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, the on the flip side of it, that injury is very, very scary. Oh, absolutely, because after Amari Cooper, that's the 1A-1B combo right there of, okay, where is the biggest – need for a team going to fill right there mm-hmm. because you have two clear-cut number one receivers in that free agent pool right everybody so else randall cobbs is a free agent as well i mean not a, not a number one receiver but still pretty good receiver a pretty I mean, good pretty receiver, good but, slot wide receiver but, at this yeah, point. but i was gonna say is it enough to move the needle to get you over the hump for the super bowl no no i don't think so bad spot i mean no i'm saying no but he did have some good looks in dallas oh yeah absolutely he had some moments he had some moments, but not enough to really. No, I mean he's what probably thirty four, thirty five years old. I mean, uh, Randall Cobb, he's thirty. Fuck, all right, yeah. that's close. But give take on like for the for the offensive side of the ball. I mean, that's the only names that are really sticking out on the defensive one. Uh, Javian Clowney. Yeah. yeah, I mean the Davian. I'm yeah, butchering the, the name there. I apparently he is very interested in coming to the Giants. I really hope that the Giants uh, are not interested in him coming back. There's also some dude named Von Miller. Oh, yeah, there's also some dude named Father Time. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> but, that, but that's the biggest one jumping to me is Clowney. No, I mean, do, listen, I Clowney played well in Seattle. I just, for what he's probably asking for, like, you got to understand, if you're a defensive lineman who is trying to get signed to a team, you know, whether, and for me, a defensive lineman, it's all about scheme fit. Because if you're, you know, if you're a 4-3 pass rushing defensive end, and you're trying to get assigned by a 3-4 stand-up team, you know, I mean, they're not going to pay you the same money because you're not going to be on as many downs as you were if you were a 4-3 rusher, you know? So yeah. it's like scheme it matters to me, and I just don't know if – and Clowney just doesn't produce enough to be getting paid like that. No. Like These guys, like, you know, Von Miller makes a difference defensively. Mm-hmm. He disrupts things but yeah. because he also, you know, he plays linebacker. Yeah. So to me, if you're going to invest in somebody, it's like I would want somebody who is a dual threat. I mean, Sims out of Clemson, I know it's a draft pick that, you know what I'm saying, but a hybrid guy that can play multiple positions, that's the kind of guy that I would want to invest in because he disrupts offense. You just putting your hand in the ground rushing after the passer you know, on first and second down and then sitting on third and short does not push the needle to me. Right. And that's where the teams are going to really have to make some moves. Right. Like I said, Clown- well, Clowney was the only one that jumped out to me on the defensive side. Of right. The and, I mean, there's a reason why Houston traded him, and there's a reason why, you know, he's trying to pursue big payday from Seattle, you know, Seattle, because mm-hmm. he feels like he is that game-changing defensive end. I, but I, as I, you I, watch the the playoff game, he wasn't. I no. mean, you, th- you really think about it. What's his big career, and I'm not just talking NFL, but, like, life highlight it's still that hit in the bowl game when he was with South Carolina. Yeah. Right. You know, you look at his stats for pro career. He's been in the league like six years or something like that. He's got 32 career sacks. Yeah. Like, I I'm, mean, I'm looking at the numbers. They're good. They're okay. But it's not anything screaming at me like, we got to pay this guy and we got to get him top dollar. Is the dude a freak? Absolutely. You know, I mean, he's, he's an absolute, you know, beast. But 
He just doesn't do. He's not Aaron Donaldson. You no. know, he's not. And the thing is, is that when you look at the 49ers defensive line, which arguably was probably the best defensive line in football this year, mm. it was four guys. It wasn't just, you know, the two ends. It was four guys who were able to get pressure from each side of the fl- line that was able to. And the same thing when the Giants had that great defensive line. It wasn't just Strahan. It was Tuck. It was Yuminura. It was, you know, a plethora of guys, you know, uh, just blitzing and, and able to find holes. So that's the biggest thing is, like, the, to me, defensive linemen is not something that you want to toss a bunch of money at. Now, if you were a safety yeah. that could cover the nickel, uh, yeah, sign me up for that. Yeah, the biggest one jumping out to me is uh, Simmons. Justin Simmons is uh, going to be the free agent. Yeah, and who and the the corner from New England's a free agent too, right? McCordy. Uh, no, McCordy's safety. No, not McCordy. The yeah, McCordy's safety. The uh, cornerback. I'm I'm swooping it up now. I don't see any. All right, so I thought. All right, so anyway, though, I mean, but you know, if you have a shutdown corner like that. That's where you want to toss your money at. Yeah, that's you know what I mean. I mean, you can get solid pass rushers, mm-hmm. but you can use scheme to get solid pass rushers. Like you don't need JJ Watt to rush the passer. You know, like you just need a solid scheme, and you mm-hmm. can get after the quarterback. No, I mean if there's two guys you mentioned New England, they got to resign on the defensive end. Kyle Vanoy, uh, inside linebacker, is a currently free agent. Resign that man immediately. Mm-hmm. And then you also Jamie Collins, who's an outside linebacker. That man's an outside linebacker, but he's also lines up a few plays as a, like a defensive end. That's what I like. The man. That's the what man's I like. Versatile, and he's right. a freak. Well, so let's pose this question out there. So next week, as we are going to be recording, we'll be recapping where everybody signs. Sure. For the idea. Well. For the, for the most, for most part, part yeah. so, for the most part. So let me throw the names out that I think are going to be making the most moves, and you tell me which team they're going to. Okay. Obviously, Tom Brady. New England. New England. New England. I, I think that's a, agreed across the board. Dak Prescott. Dallas. Uh, Dallas, but he's going to get franchised. Same, yeah. I say Dallas. Because I, I really think the, the whole situation with Dallas and the Mar- it's going to get ugly. Oh, I think so too. I think Dallas is going to panic and overpay. I think. Well, I, I don't. I I don't think Jerry Jones does that. I think he franchises him and he pay because I mean franchising is going to get him paid. But I think Dak holds out too. Could possibly happen. Mm-hmm. Amari Cooper. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of teams like uh, Dallas is the easy one to say, but like I'm trying to think of other teams that might need need a receiver. I think I think he resigns in Dallas. I, I just yeah. I mean, I don't see anybody else. I mean, he's he had a solid year, not a great year. Mm-hmm. I think Dallas obviously sees, you know, they traded a first-round pick for him. Mm-hmm. I don't think they just let him go after two seasons of service. You know? No, because I, I think I, I'm going to have to say Dallas just because if I had to put my head in, in where Jerry Jones, you know, train of thought or where his head's at, he might be having, you know, envisions of of you know their '90s run 2.0. Well, where, where you had Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, and then Michael Irvin. Now you've got Dak, Zeke, and Amari. And not only to mention that, but I think that his price tag is going to be too high for teams to sign him after getting hurt towards the end of the year. Like yeah. I don't, I don't think New England's going to be willing to toss top dollar to an Amari Cooper. No, I'm actually going to say that the smart money would be to have Cooper stay in Dallas. But I think he's gone, and I think he does go to New England on a one-year deal. Oof. I'm going to throw that out there Oof. because I think for Brady to come back, he's going to need a number one. And for, yeah. for me, 
looking at this board of free agents. I think the A.J. Green move, I fear that is going to happen, but I don't think it is going to, just for the simple fact that with Burrow coming there, he's probably going to really try selling Green on, hey, let's turn this thing around in Cincinnati. Let's see what we do. I think for the Patriots to bring Tom Brady back, they need to bring in a number one, and who's the biggest one they can get is Amari Cooper. I think this nonsense about them trading for OBJ is completely out the window. Mm-hmm. I well, so here's my thing though: if that does happen, it's definitely not going to be for a one-year deal. Yeah, like Amari Cooper is in his late twenties. There's no way he is going to sign in the prime of his career a one-year deal. Well, they could do it if they can just rework it after. See, I think it's just a matter of showcasing what he can do. If he has, if he feels he wants to win a Super Bowl, this is the time to do it. I think if it would be a two-year deal with a restructure, uh-huh. I, I could see yeah. that too. But I could, but like I say, I could see they're going one, one, and just to really kind of make a selling point. Yeah, and I could, two. I could imagine him taking a, a pay cut just to go, hey, I'm going to play with Tom Brady. Yeah, and that, this is my best chance to win a Super Bowl. And that's the selling point. As much as I hate that idea, completely with the Bills being in that same division. Melvin Gordon. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna stick with Kansas City. Yeah, I I just like it. I don't even know if it can happen. I don't know if Kansas City got the cap space, but I would love to see that. There's plenty of there's plenty of teams out there that need a, a running back and don't really have one right now. But I, any of them coming to mind, I'm like, yeah, there's Ooh, no way he can go there. You know, Houston. Yeah, Houston would make a lot Ooh. of sense. Kansas City would make a ton of sense. Except the only thing is with Kansas City, I don't know with Patrick Mahomes' contract looming. If they're going to want to try saving some cap space now, and and because that when that one comes out, he will be the highest played player oh, in the NFL. There's <laughs> no for question. real, no question, no like, question. There, we won't even be debating about is he going to leave Kansas City? No, he is going to be there for life. Mm-hmm. My guess with Melvin Gordon is he goes to the Chicago Bears. Oh, oh, all right. I, I'm going to throw that one at you. Okay, and I'll even give you their new starting quarterback will be one Cam Newton. Oh, you think they're going to take that route, huh? I think they're going to okay. go that route. I think that you're going to see a complete rebuild going out in Chicago, which I think they could definitely use. I don't know necessarily how it's going to work, but I think that they are going to definitely make enough moves in that sense to re- re-spark that <laughs> offense. And they need to do something because that offense is abysmal. And I would say go get a kicker, but, you know, that's just taking a shot at them. So, Jadavion Clowney. Hmm. I really have no idea. I'm going to take a flyer and say it's going to be like Washington. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I could see. Just them pursuing a name to pair with Chase Young. I could see it being them or maybe even like a Detroit. You know, Matt Patricia being a defensive guy, looking for, you know, maybe an anchor on that defense. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Oakland, a.k.a. Las Vegas. I think for them moving to Vegas – they're going to need to make a big splash oh, yeah. one, oh, yeah. one way or another, either on the offensive or de- defensive side of the ball. They're going to need to do something. I could see them going and getting him. Not necessarily going to be what you know sends them to the Super Bowl, but I know Gruden likes him, and they could definitely use a name out there. Yeah. So that one makes a lot of sense. Ryan Tannehill, I think we all agree, staying put in Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If Tom Brady doesn't come there, then that's the only <laughs> that's the only thing that makes oh, yeah, sense for him. It, it, it makes sense for him. He doesn't got to do a lot of work. Honestly, he looks good in Tennessee. And thank you, Derrick Henry. And he'll start. You know, and yeah, he'll start. You know, anywhere else, he's a backup that might not even see the light of day. Who would have thought in this day and age we'd be seeing Ryan Tannehill in the debate where he's going for free agency? Yeah. Well, I mean, listen. When he he had 
a decent spot in Miami. Like he had what that one year. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, I mean the a couple leg injuries and shoulders injury. You know, shoulder injury definitely slowed his development and growth. I mean, listen, you got to understand. Anytime that there's a coaching change and multiple coaching changes within you know a time frame for um, a young quarterback, it's career suicide for them. Because mm-hmm. I mean, Alex Smith is a perfect example yep. of that. Coach after coach after coach in San Francisco, but then goes to a, a uh, you know, Andy, Andy Reid in um, Kansas City and revamps his career. Why? Because Andy Reid is a is a, a leader and, yeah. a, and a solid coach who was able to steer him in the right direction just in one year of service. So, you know, Tannehill obviously staying put would be the smart thing for him instead of having to do that. And, I mean, not to say that he'll win you a Super Bowl, but he'll definitely at least get you to a championship game. Yeah. He's he's adequate for that offense and he fits into that scheme. I think it's a smart move to bring him back. Yeah. I'm just kind of shocked that obviously with how he ended things in Miami that he's had this resurgence. But good for him. I'm not. I, I can't be mad about that. Comeback player of the year without uh-huh. question. And let's close it out with the other big name in the quarterback position on the free agency market. One Philip Rivers retirement. Yeah, I mean I just can't see him going anywhere that it's going to have any sort of success. You know, and I can't really think of any team that really needs a quarterback, they're like, you know what, we're going to call up Rivers. I mean, but to be fair, though, when Brett Favre signed with the Minnesota Vikings in 2009, he was 39 years old and Rivers is 38. So Yeah, but he ain't the same kind of player that Brett no. Favre was. He's not the same, but I think that he winds up in Tampa Bay by the time it's all said and done. Oh, God, I hope not. Yeah, I, I just have this odd feeling one year and then he's done. If they go 6-9 and nine or, you know, they just miss the playoffs. That's my predictions about that. We've given you some predictions going in with NFL free agency. It officially starts Monday, March 16th, and we'll be recapping what has been signed and where we think players that haven't signed by the time we record are draft going to be going The draft is a month week. away. The draft is a month away, as Coach said, too. So we're going to be definitely having a big draft episode when that comes around. But hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about NFL free agency? What players haven't we talked about that you think we should be, and where are they going? And how about our predictions? Do you agree with them or not? We definitely want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Can you imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer? Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure. And this year, we need your help more than ever. Please join us May 27th through May 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world. We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference. Hello there. Do you like movies but feel overwhelmed by the avalanche of titles available every week in the theaters and on streaming services? Do you struggle with justifying the increasing cost of movies at the theater or whether to pick up another streaming service? Well, I have a resource for you. One Movie Punch. Your movie review podcast for currently playing newly streaming classic and cult movies. One movie per day, every day. We track the theaters, streaming services, and the occasional physical release to find the best movies currently available. We watch every film, then distill it into a short three to five minute review and publish a daily podcast. And now with year two, we've gone spoiler free for all movies within the last three years and bringing on a team of reviewers with brand new perspectives and selections. Want more information? 
head over to www.onemoviepunch.com to subscribe to the daily podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Movie Punch and Facebook at www.facebook.com slash One Movie Punch. We'll see you there. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we got to talk a little NBA news going on. Basketball is my favorite sport. Yes, and there was some big news coming out of New York, and it did not involve the Knicks. I mean, they did have their lowest home attendance since 2008, 2009. Yeah, we're not going to blame that on anything related to Spike Lee. That was obviously everybody, you know, the fear of this thing going on. You know, nobody wanted to contract that, so they're just staying out of the arena. Good for you, citizens. Be smart. Stay at home. Self-quarantine. Nothing about Spike Lee. No, but for everybody, please be safe with this going on. Make sure you're washing your hands and just take necessary precautions. But for this, though, it did not involve the Knicks, as we're going to talk about this story. It involved it. A certain team across town, shall we say? Brooklyn. Coach? I love it. Welcome to the Nets are a mess. Hey, coin hey. that. Uh, I mean, that's that, that's nothing new, listen, but there was enough. Go- that's nothing new, but there was enough going on that they could kind of like hide behind it. Listen, I mean, I, so Kenny Atkinson, <laughs> the, the coach that was coined, you know, and bred or uh, was labeled as the culture cultivator you know he was the guy who the nets brought in to uh rebuild the the culture of the nets and to make them uh, this esteemed team you know and last year they had you know such a uh, a shamble of a roster you could say you know d'angelo russell who was you know trying to make a comeback after being traded by the lakers and spencer dinwiddie who nobody had heard of until last year and uh jared allen who was an afterthought in a late round first pick uh late a late first round draft pick, you know, and uh, other names that, you know, Damari Carroll, who, you know, was on what was thought to be the tail end of his career when he got uh, picked up by the Nets. Karis Levert. Yeah, last season was very interesting for us here in the in the uh, New York you know tri state area because the games the the Brooklyn Nets are broadcasted on for us are the same channel that the uh, New York Yankees are broadcasted on. So when I'm watching Yankee games, if it's the right time of year, I'm seeing enough Brooklyn Nets commercials. It was real interesting to watch them try and promote those games last year. Yeah, I mean, uh, Karis Levert, uh, <laughs> Harris, you know, uh, who all, almost won the three point contest last year. Uh, you know, so obviously the list goes on and on of names right Mm -hmm. and Kenny Atkinson was uh the guy who helped build that team a winner he turned the Nets around and how do the Nets repay him thanks they ship everybody out of there and they bring in DeAndre Jordan Kevin Durant and a guy by the name of Kyrie Irving who never heard of him and what happened to Kenny Atkinson well he was dismissed on Saturday of his head coaching duties because why the players didn't want him as a coach no. Yeah, I don't understand this move at all. And now the rumors are Kyrie wants Tyron Lewin there. And now the culture and all this stuff. Oh, all the Nets fans. All you guys were, oh, you know, at least we're not the Knicks. We're not a mess. We've got culture. We've got winning. We've got players who want to win and want to play for us. And, oh, we're not about the, When's you know, the, the star players. Well, it's been a while. You shut you down know, for the season now. And now look what happened to you. Now you're schmucks. All you Nets fans, each and every one of you out there, you're all a bunch of bandwagon schmucks because you had the same thing that happened to you that happened in the Knicks. You've got a little cell in there that doesn't like what it sees, and it sucked everything out of there. Enjoy the rest of your season and enjoy never winning a championship because that's exactly what will happen to this team now. 
when you, Boom! When you let the inmates run the asylum, it is never good to build a winning culture. And this You're is, damn right. This is prime example for everything that Atkinson did. Everything. Yeah. Everything. He inherited a mess. He inherited a mess. He inherited a dumpster fire. And literally, he was he was put with G League players and guys who were undrafted. Because let's face it, the Nets didn't even have a first round pick for the first couple of those years, and they did. And they had Boston's late picks in the draft, which is why they were able to get Levert and Harris mm-hmm. and Allen. And he took those players and turned them into. Guys that were like, wow, they can actually win. He revamped D'Angelo Russell's career when people thought that he was going to be a wash yeah. after that trade from the Lakers. So to sit here and then have bring, you know, at the first opportunity to bring in these star players, which, listen, you know, if you got star players who want to come play for you, I understand, you know, from a marketing and a dollar standpoint, you know, it's difficult to say no, and you can't really win in today's NBA without star players. But my God, to let them just come in. And own your franchise the way that this happened. Because let's face it, the reports were, and I mean, this is uh, from an NBA beat writer. If Kyrie Irving won Kenny Atkinson as the head coach, Kenny Atkinson would be the head coach. I'll say, like we said, for those who may not remember or just don't know, he really did inherit a dumpster fire piece of garbage team because he took over as Brooklyn Nets head coach in 2016. Uh, for the 20, and then the season prior, the Brooklyn Nets finished third to last in the league with a record of 21 and 61, a winning percentage of 256. And and here's the other. And then you know, Jock Vaughn got named the interim head coach. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing he does as the head coach? Mind you, the season's probably now a wash. Yep. You know, I mean. Uh, Kyrie Irving's uh, done for the season. Kevin Durant, 100%, was never coming back. Yep. What's the first thing that he does? He benches your young developing center in Jared Allen and plays DeAndre Jordan, who, mind you, plus-minus rating is like negative 13. On the flip side of it, Jared Allen's plus-minus is like plus 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. It's it's. It's a la the Knicks starting Taj Gibson over Mitch Robinson because they don't want Mitch Robinson to get in foul trouble. Yeah. Come on. No, there makes no sense about this move. And Atkinson definitely deserved better about this because the job he did was tremendous with the no names he had on this team. <coughs> I understand that we live in the society of win-now culture. I get that. But the fact that he built a team out of nothing that was a playoff contender – Prior took to, him a while. Yeah, it took him a while, but because his first full season wasn't any better, he was last in the league with a record of twenty and sixty-two. Right, but he had enough time to develop talent, which you don't get often in professional sports, no matter what sport it is. He had time to develop. D'Angelo Russell is a superstar because of him, but to get treated like this because your star franchise guys want to bring in their own coaches, their own players, you're obviously hurting your product long term mm-hmm. because if you're not willing to take the hard stance and say hey this is our coach what has he done to warrant himself getting terminated right what they're a playoff contender without your big assets of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant this season Irving hasn't been there enough to really say he made an impact no in my opinion. absolutely I, not I just to me I mean when you sit here and you talk about the fact that you had a budding team on the verge of you know, being able to make headway in the uh, NBA, you know, especially in the Eastern Conference where stars are leaving by the boatload. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it, they all went out west. So, I mean, you, you sit here and you're 
having a young team like this and you see the pending free agents that are coming up, you know, did you have to rush in to sign an injury prone and head case that is Kyrie Irving? Because, I mean, let's face it, he is not 100% in those faculties right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he definitely gets in his own way. Kyrie's, er, Kyrie Irving's worst enemy is Kyrie Irving. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and Kevin Durant, who, you know, you really don't know what Kevin Durant you're going to get because you're either going to get a Kevin Durant that's in his feels or you're going to get easy money sniper. You never know which one of those two is going to show up. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you're paying this man to sit the entire year and then you shut down Kyrie Irving and you have a coach here who has a winning pedigree yeah, and you let him go just because of two players that you brought in don't want him, it's not like he was losing. Right. No. You know what I mean? It's not like it's like a... I mean, he wasn't you know, having a ton of huge success, but... Right, but it's not like it was a David Blatt situation with LeBron where it was yeah. like LeBron, you know, they just... There was a, a, a clashing of styles. Like, mm-hmm. it just didn't work between the two of them because he was not implementing what LeBron wanted to be doing. Right. And, you know, when he came from Miami, obviously Eric Spolstra deferred to him and D-Wade a lot and built an offense that was spread out that they could run in. So when they brought Blatt in, you know, and everything got tight in the paint, you know, that's not the way that LeBron wants to play. So, you know, there you knew there was going to be an inevitable change there because they just weren't getting along. Right. This is something totally different where, you know, you and, and they were losing at the time. They were like on a seven-game losing streak at the time that they let Blatt go. Mm-hmm. You know, and But LeBron was there and playing. This is a different scenario where Atkinson is here and they're playing pretty well. They're in the playoff hunt up until Kyrie got shut down. And now you're like, that's it? You're going to pull the plug? That's, I mean, to me, and and now what? You're going to go and get Ty Lue just because Kyrie wants him? Right. And for Kyrie's track record, he doesn't warrant that power. No. I'm sorry. Take a look at what he did in Boston. Right. Crickets. And, yeah. And what he did in Cleveland without LeBron. I mean, arguably, I mean, Boston went on that win streak and got into the playoffs without Kyrie playing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you? That spoke volumes. And, and they're just as good this year with Kemba at the point than they were last year. I'll say, I just want to point out, uh, currently as we sit here recording, Boston doing very well for themselves, currently 42 and 21, right in the thick of things. Right. Yeah, Boston didn't lose a beat. In fact, they, they got better. Yeah, so they're currently I mean, the three seed out east, while Brooklyn is currently the seven seed. Tatum, you know, has blossomed as a player this year. Mm-hmm. And, it. I mean, I don't want to sit here and say it's at the beat, you know, at, uh, because of Kyrie's leaving but i mean a spade, a is, spade a spade. is a spade you know well, i mean you look at the numbers you look at the differential between who's there and who's not <laughs> and you look at the performance of last year versus this must be he must be switched clam chowder the common factor well i mean this just goes to show what the problems that we as nick fans are now avoiding and them not coming to the garden is going to be a good thing not a bad thing right i know because can you imagine the drama that would be going on right now. If this was if this was the Knicks firing Fisdale because Kyrie Irving didn't want him there, yeah. this story would be everywhere. Put it to you this way. If Kyrie Irving was on the Knicks, you'd have never heard about the Spike Lee situation. Well, right. But, right. I mean, the, 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 the Fisdale firing would have been, instead of a positive spin of, all right, maybe this guy wasn't the right guy, which was what the stories were, mm-hmm. it would have been, Kyrie doesn't want Fisdale. Yeah. And his, you know, this, that, and the third of, you know, the players running the Knicks, you know, and all that. Like, it would have just been an ugly spin that the media would have crushed the Knicks on. Instead, you know, here's the Nets doing this and crickets. 
Well, because the Nets are still in the shadow of the Knicks. Right. No and and not what. only just that, but the fact that it was probably just expected by this point. You know, I mean, the Nets just it feels like a net move to do now that you went out and you you know cuz they 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 stri- that that whole culture building aspect was torn away you know this off season so i probably people were already prepared mm-hmm. for it you know well i think that either you're buying into the hype of a super team forming in brooklyn but you still don't know what you're going to get out right. of kevin durant next right. year right. physically right because i know today there was what videotape of him dunking, dunking. And, and and working out loosely but still coming back from an achilles tear yeah. is and, and, the th- and the thing we got to remember is he looked real good when he was with the Golden State Warriors, but that's the thing you got to remember. They had very good pieces around him with Ke- Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and everybody else on that team. So I'll, I would argue you can throw me on that team, and, exactly. I, and I've got no basketball skills, and I'll look like a million-dollar player. Which Kevin Durant are we going to get? Are we going to get the one that looked good with Golden State because he had a lot of good players around him, or are we going to get – the Kevin Durant from Oklahoma City, who had flashes of brilliance. Let's not forget, he won an MVP when he was out there. You know, are we going to get the MVP Kevin Durant from Oklahoma City, or are we going to get the one that has to try and feel like he has to do everything? Or we're going to get the one that is going to be fighting with Kyrie when the honeymoon phase is over midseason. Well, here's the thing, and that's the biggest (laughs) thing. Kyrie had this entire year to play by himself. Mm -hmm. You know, so, I mean, that's why his hands-on experience with Atkinson ultimately probably drove the stake in between their relationship you know so i mean now next year um now you're going to have kd in the fold obviously you know whoever you pick up in free agency and off-season trades or whatever you know that's all going to come in the fold now it's going to be a whole chemistry issue because at the end of the day Kyrie hasn't played with kd no right they don't know what that dynamic's going to be like steph curry for all that you know he does is you know definitely uh, from a basketball IQ standpoint, he knows who's hot. And as a point guard, he's not going to just toss up shots for the sake of tossing up shots. You know, mm. if if, Kyrie, if KD's got a mismatch, he's going to give it to KD in the paint. You know, I mean, he, he's a heads-up basketball player. Well, so, he's, he's, I would also say he's got a personality that makes him very likable and easy to work right, with. Right, like he's willing to defer, you yeah. know, is basically what I'm trying yeah. to say. Is Kyrie going to be the same way when he has KD next year? You know, that we don't say. know. It's hard to say. He didn't necessarily do it with LeBron. I'll say he did. He, did, he didn't really have to do it with you was when he was with LeBron because LeBron was such an alpha, such a everything runs through me. I pick everything. I do this. I do that. That Kyrie could kind of take a step back and go, okay, I'll just play. Right. I'll do what I have to but, do. But that's what ultimately demanded his trade to Boston was yep. because of that yeah. alphaness because they both are the same type, you know. And to Kyrie's credit, like I understand why he does that because the man can put buck. You know, the balls in the hoop. You know, the man scored buckets. Yeah. But is he better than Kyrie, you know, than KD? No. You know, I no. mean, what? so the problem is, is that this is going to be the same relationship as a Russell Westbrook and KD, which is going to drive a stake between the two of them. Now, this is all just speculating because obviously, again, we haven't seen them play together. Right. We haven't seen them play together. But the one thing that I would say is we need to watch for is as soon as the honeymoon phase is over, because that will happen quick. Because when you're in the pressure cooker that is known as New York City media, right. and you're on the back page of the Post and the Daily News every day, uh-huh. and if you're not on that back cover, and it's going to be Kevin Durant, how much is his ego going to handle that? Because let's face it, the, the next the off season for the Knicks, like we've talked about, is probably going to be pretty low key. So I mean, the idea is you know Giannis in two years. So if they have a low key off season, you know, unless they draft like the Nets are probably sitting here praying that the Knicks draft Lamelo Ball. 
Mm. Like that is, I mean, if I was the Nets and PR people, I would be like, please, for the love of God, Knicks fall to where LaMelo Ball is and pick him because then LeVar will come and that will take away any Nets attention that could be negative from, you know, the that year because anything LeVar does will get back post media. Oh, yeah. And he knows that. So, you know, best case scenario, the Knicks don't take him and they take, uh, you know, Cole Anthony and, you know, it's just a quiet, low-key season for the Knicks. So if that happens, any all the eyes and attention are going to be those two playing together next year. Mm-hmm. Right. If that if that goes the way that I hope it goes for the Knicks, you know, they'll fly under the radar. All that attention will be there on the Nets. So any little problem, any little gesture of, like, confrontation, boom, back page, oh, yeah. blown up. All over the place. It'll, it'll be like when the season started for Houston with Russell Westbrook reuniting with James Harden. Mm-hmm. And what was it, like the first couple of games or whatever it was, where there was that shot of them having just a simple mm-hmm. disagreement. They weren't mad at each other. Right. They weren't pissed at each other, but they had a disagreement, and voices got a little raised, and they looked a little frustrated. But the media took with it and ran with it like, oh, my God. Now They m- hate each other. Imagine that media times infinity in New York. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Because they'll, they'll ask. They'll just go up to them. Hey, what was with that uh, argument that you two? Oh, it was an argument. Because we, we living in the New York area, know how rabid the New York media can get. Mm-hmm. But you multiply that by the fact it's the national media because the national story, you know, like you said, Knicks are going to fly under the radar because, let's be honest, the bar's not that high. Nobody's really expecting, you know, gold-plated anything out of them. Right. Low-key offseason, yeah. quiet. Yeah. yeah. But the focus all next season, no matter even who wins the championship, like, Forget about LeBron. Forget about Golden State. There, there'll be stories. Yeah, sure. But the focus is going to be, hey, Kevin Durant's coming back. Let's see what they can do They can do in Brooklyn. I'd be willing to bet a fair number of Brooklyn games are going to be on national television next year because oh, oh, for sure. it's going to be the focus. They'll load up, but the thing that you need to watch for is if they don't come out 15-0 and 0 out the gate with, with all – No, no. What I'm saying is this. Yeah. If they don't come out – how quick is that media going to jump on them? Oh, if they like, I I would compare it to that Knicks run, yeah, where they had, um, you know, the Derrick Rose, Jack Kim Noah team that you know they started like four and two, and everybody was like, oh, the Knicks are back, and then they won oh, that yeah. putrid like right. oh for thirty run, and then everybody was shitting on them. Like if they come out and they start out fourteen and two, everything's going to become is going to be gravy, right? But if they start like four and twelve or four and fourteen, because eight and eight. It's still, you know, the 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 spin can be its early season right, right. chemistry, blah blah blah. But if they come out four and twelve, you bet your bottom dollar there's going to be issues. Yeah, and exactly, doing moves like this is only going to heighten that awareness. Yeah, that you had your coach removed, which I would love to see Atkinson come over to the Knicks. Oh, there's no way. You, you never say never. I, I will have I will have dumb optimistic hope. I mean, I'm definitely not sold on. I mean, if we're gonna go there, I'm definitely not sold on Mike Miller. No, I'm or not. Whatever, Miller. I can't. Even, I keep calling. Yeah, it is Mike. Yeah, Miller. It is Mike Miller. Fucking. I mean, listen. I know I got you too worked up. Mike no, Miller, yeah. Now you got. Now you got me going. Cause, come on, man. I mean, Mitchell. You, you, the season's lost. Like, what are you trying to do? If anything, just show that you can develop players. I mean, that's why you were brought up from the G League to the NBA because yeah. of your player development with the Westchester Knicks. You won a championship with that team. Where I mean, their leading scorer was you know Damian Dotson. Um. Oh, the guard's escaping me right now. And then they had um, the center, uh, not Wooten, but the kid before him that was blocking all the shots. But you had those guys, and you won a championship with them. 
That's why they brought you up to the NBA because it was like, all right, we're drafting RJ. We need a guy with player development skills that that can you know help turn around a turn around Kevin Knox and b develop Kevin Durant and elevate his game. And instead, you got Alonzo Trier and Damian Dotson sitting for Wayne Ellington and Reggie fucking Bullock. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. No, I agree with you. Play the young guy. Alonzo Trier is a bowler. He came in that Charlotte game, dropped 14 points in like 12 minutes of playing. Come on, dude. Right. So that's why I said this offseason, they'll need to do something. And and once you give Rose some time to make some moves. I I know we're buying into the hype again, Ken. We're doing it again. Well, yeah, because I mean, you the know definition what? of insanity is being a Knicks fan, like I've said before. No, because and it I, really cause, is. Because you know what? I'm looking across the river at, at Brooklyn, <laughs> and I, I feel better about myself. Like, so let me have my moment, man. I let really me, let me go. I mean, I just it, whoever they bring in. I mean, Kenny Atkinson would be. I mean, he was part of the Knicks organization, which is actually probably going to be his downfall because Dolan hates bringing back any assistant coaches who left for head coaching positions. It's the dumbest, most oddest thing that this man does because you literally if you were assistant coach and you left mm-hmm. you're, you're shunned you're gone you're never coming back to the garden as a coach um i i atkinson would be a great you know hire i think that they're going to do the flashy thing and go a kid but i i i want rose to do the right thing and i want to believe that he'll do the right thing <laughs> so we're, we're gonna give him the benefit of the doubt so I'm, yeah sure so, so let's hope this but let's end on a little more positive note Playoff seating, hey. playoff berths are now getting yeah. locked in. The Lakers. In. Wow. Let's huh? let's talk about that. Let's talk about them. Because, huh? you know, we all said at the beginning of the year for our NBA preview that it was going to be the Clippers and everybody else. Currently standing right now, the Lakers are 49-13. and 13. Well, the Clippers' uh, worst enemy is load management. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we took into effect the fact that Kai, uh, Doc. You know, Doc was going to sit uh, Leonard and, and Paul George as much as he sat him, I mean, which fair, is fine. I mean, to whatever. Be fair, though they're still sitting at the fair. second seed, forty three right. and twenty. Oh yeah, nothing. Yeah, to I mean about. nothing. Yeah, I mean they're still winning games, but yeah. I mean load management definitely should have been factored into our predictions because that's killing us. Yeah, but the Lakers are on a tear right now. They just, I mean, they took it to the Clippers last game, and they had a very good defense. They had a good offensive strategy, and which lo- was. Take it to Lou Williams. In, yes. their la- in their last 10 games, they are 9-1. and one. Yeah. Exactly. LeBron and company are turning it on at the right time. And LeBron is what's playing, and LeBron's playing well, yeah. which is the scary thing. Because, yeah. I mean, if he continues on this consistency and continues to be on this terror, there is little to do to stop him. No, he's he's definitely on a mission this year. And rightfully looking, so. Yeah, and rightfully so, obviously. He's, he's dedicated the season to Kobe that he is just playing like a man possessed, and it showed in that game. I mean, he took it right to L.A., had no fear about it, and really want to make that a statement win. I know we throw that term around a lot, but that was a statement win to go oh, yeah. and punch the Clippers right in the mouth. And they, they have locked in that they're going to be in the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, currently sitting at the number one seed, it's looking crazy to me at the beginning of the year when they did the fire sale to get Anthony Davis to come to L.A. that they'd be doing this well and just running through the West. Well, yeah, I mean, currently LeBron averaging just over 25 points a game, just about eight rebounds a game, and then 10.6 assists per game. I think my thing with LeBron is that I, I feel like 
and he's always been this way. I mean, he's always been willing to to defer, you know, to, you know, much of the chagrin of the, you know, national public and media, you know, everybody, oh, you know, LeBron will never take the big shot and whatnot, you know, and he's always been willing to defer. I think that when they brought Anthony Davis in, I think LeBron knew that he needed help. You know, yeah. I, I think LeBron knew that, you know, the only way that he was going to be successful was with somebody like Anthony Davis. And, I mean, genuinely, it seems like the two of them just like playing together. Well, and, and you look so, at yeah. you look that at, helps. You look at LeBron's history. LeBron, when he's at his best or at his most successful, he's had players around him. I mean, obviously the Miami years, but you look at you know the years he was in Cleveland. He you know had some players around him, albeit you know maybe not to the level and caliber of a of a Anthony Davis. But you look back to some of those early years in Cleveland. Yeah, he's making you know something out of nothing, but he really didn't have anything around him. Right, but now you paired him with another MVP yeah. caliber player. Yeah, and just look at the success. Oh, nice, nice of you to give Javale McGee a, a shine like that. Yeah, well, you know, I'm in the giving mood. It's it's not it's not the holiday season, but I'm just feel like giving props. No, but for him and Anthony Davis to be doing what they're doing, this is really paying off. Yeah. And obviously, clinching a playoff spot this early, truly a testament to how good the Lakers are playing. And this is going to be a fun conference to watch for the oh, playoffs. Yeah. I mean, everybody, if you're looking at the seating right now, if the season ended. The Lakers are the number one. The Clippers are the two. Denver is three. Utah is four. Oklahoma City's five. Houston six. Dallas is seven. And the Grizzlies yeah. would, be, would be eight. Yep. I, mean, I know. John Morant playing real well. Yeah. I mean, how crazy is that? There's so much going on with the NBA that is not drama. So that's what I think we'll focus on ending the segment well, with. I mean, well, hold on real Because, I mean, that Memphis team is is – Obviously, with John Morant, is playing tremendous, and that is amazing to see a rookie come in and lead a team the way that he is. Um, but it will be very interesting to see as we go on into the Western Conference playoffs because one through six is very, very dangerous. Yeah, Because Houston being a six seed, although they are playing true small ball, can be – I mean, if they're knocking down the three – they're going to run lights out on you because they're playing better defensively, and that's something that people aren't really realizing, that their defensive statistics, although playing small ball, are actually better than they were when they had Clint Capella, mm. which is nuts to think about. And that Utah team is a quiet sleeper because with that change that they made in the starting lineup with Royce O'Neal starting over Mike Connolly, they've actually been playing a lot better basketball. And then you talk about Denver. And Denver's no sleeper either. I mean, Denver's a very, very dangerous team that when you get them in a seven-round series and you got to play, you know, the big fella uh, and uh, Paul Millisap in a seven-round series, that's going to be tough to to contend with, especially as a, a Laker and a Clipper team that, you know, Kawhi plays minutes at the four, Paul George plays minutes at the four, and LeBron plays minutes at the four. You know, covering Paul Millisap is no joke. So the playoff race is going to be very interesting in the West. And then in the East, you know, Boston – Toronto, you know, those are going to be your teams that you're going to hear about. Obviously, Philly will be in the mix. And then Milwaukee. Yeah. And they're very, very good this year. Yeah. There's going to be so many storylines going on with that. I mean, Coach even had to throw about the Memphis, too. I mean, there's so much going on with the NBA right now that the playoffs are going to be the fun thing. It'll definitely take you out of the mind frame of watching Brooklyn self-implode because the start is happening right now. Yep. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts on the current state of the Brooklyn Nets? Was it a smart move to get rid of their coach or not? And how is your team doing for the NBA playoffs moving forward? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
Hey everybody, this is RJ, Ash, Ray, Brandon, Harrison, and Bronson. We host a Dungeons & Dragons podcast called Realms & Nerds. Some highlights of our show include wreaking havoc in every town we visit, blowing up hot tubs, killing off fan-favorite characters, hi, necromancers, inappropriate wedding etiquette, and every now and then, actually good storytelling. Join us in the realms of Pridea for fun fantasy adventures. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or just about wherever you get podcasts. Hi, this is Tyler from Second Suitor, and you're listening to the ODPH Podcast. I want you to get it. I want you to understand. I'm doing the best I can, but not as good as I want to be. I just want to get it. I just want to comprehend that I have to make amends. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Got to talk a little UFC action from this past weekend. Oh, boy, do we ever. UFC 248 went down in Las Vegas, and man, did it have some good, some bad, and some ugly going on in some that card. real ugly. Absolutely. So, Pad, why don't you break it down for us? Yeah, so uh, why don't we just skip? Uh, well, we, first of all, we're going to talk about the fight that we didn't talk about last week because who knew what the heck we were going to get out of this, and that would be the lightweight matchup that took place in the card. Okay, break it down. Yeah, so uh, you had Benil Darush taking on Dracker Close. Uh, apologies if I butchered those names. Uh, but you had Benil Darush coming out of nowhere, much like a Randy Orton RKO, and knocking out Dracar Close in a moment that is very worthy of the moment, uh, the clip from the movie Friday where they say, damn, you just got knocked the fuck out. Coach, have you seen that clip? I saw the reaction shot of the broadcasters, you know, doing the... You know, the, oh, shit, grab, oh, you know, that, that was, which was, you know, a reaction out of, you know, especially guys like Joe Rogan and um, Daniel Cormier, Damian Co- yeah, Daniel Cormier, uh, to get a reaction like that out of the guys who have, you know, been around the fight game for years like this, you know, it must have been a one hell of a TKO. Let's break it down like this. We did the watch party after Excite Wrestling over at uh, Rich's house from <laughs> Rich from uh, Three Fat Nerds Podcast. So it was me, him, and Dog watching. When we saw the first round of this, Darush was on Close's back for the entire round. He had him in a body triangle trying to secure a rear naked choke. And literally spent three minutes on his back. So wasn't really sure how we are going to get out of this. Because usually when you exert that much energy trying to put on a submission hold like that, you usually burn your arms out. Mm-hmm. Did not happen in that second round. Darush got Close pressed up against the cage, and he landed a left shot where you saw his mouthpiece, Close's mouthpiece, come out. And he was clearly looking forward, and you knew the lights were out in the building. Uh The ref jumped in and immediately waved it off, and you can find the video reaction online. Daniel Cormier lost his mind. So did Joe Rogan, John Anik, who were all sitting there doing commentary. And it is hysterical to see their reaction. But Darush looked good. He called out Michael Chiesa at the end of that, which I thought was a little kind of odd, but... Um, we'll kind of have to wait and see what he has moving forward with that. But it was a hell of a knockout. Uh, I don't know if it would be knockout of the year, but it was a damn good knockout. But if we're going to give out yearly awards early. It's an early contender. There is an early contender. 
Pad, break it down. Uh, yeah, so the n- next up was the co-main event for the Women's Strawweight Championship uh, with champion Zhang Weili uh, taking on Joanna Jurjacic. Uh, Zhang Weili defended her championship by a split decision in a match for the ages. Coach, let me put it to you this way. Zhang and Jurjacic went five rounds of just nonstop action. I saw the pre-fight picture of Jurjacek and I saw the post-fight picture of Jurjacek and it did not look the same. No. No. If you want to talk about a battle, if you want to talk about a a war, like we throw that around in fighting a lot in combat sports, this is your definition of it. Jurjacek looked sharp the entire fight, even with that nasty second head hematoma that was growing out of her uh, forehead you can find the pictures online it's nasty because zhang was nailing her with power shots mm-hmm. on the flip side jerjacek was nailing combos out of nowhere and with sharp crispness mm-hmm. that zhang's face was definitely telling the story that she was in a battle I had this scored, Jurjacek, 3-2 to two on the scorecard. You could have told me it was going to go the other way, and I would not have argued with you because how the fact that both of these amazing fighters did not get stopped in this match is blowing my mind mm-hmm. because the amount of punishment they were giving each other yeah. is incredible. The only thing I can compare it to – if you're a longtime MMA fan, it is Dan Henderson, Shogun Hua, first fight. Mm. Not the sequel, the first one. Oh, right. Where Dan was all messed up. Every yeah, yeah. Both those both those fighters were messed up. And honestly, I had the same reaction I had at that fight. When they were going to decision, and I believe Dog asked me, he's like, Who do you think won? I'm like, We did. I could not <laughs> I yeah. literally was like this could go either way. I am not going to dispute this. And, Pad, you got the results? No, yeah. Uh, the decision went, uh, split decision for the fight there. Uh, it went 48-47, 47-48, and then 48-47. Yes, for your strawweight champion, Wheelie Zhang. Mm-hmm. Did not argue it. Was, no. Was completely fine with it. And the minute that decision got read off, I immediately said they need to run it back. Uh, and understandably so, it won the fight of the night uh, bonus for the card. It absolutely deserves it. I don't see a point not to. I mean, looking at the rankings going on, I mean, Rose Namajunas is coming back. Uh-huh. I know that she has a fight coming up soon. And obviously, with Andrade just losing to Zhang, I don't think they do an immediate rematch there. So that being said... This fight makes a ton of sense to run back, and it will be a classic again because your J-Check is an absolute monster at that weight class. Let her come back, and this one, like I said, your J-Check, I thought, won the fight, but I'm not disputing it. It's not like a crazy decision that I sat there and was like, no, 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 this isn't right. This, isn't, this is not happening. This fight is a fight that you want to show fight fans that have been tuning out from the UFC Put this fight on and let them watch. And if they're not hooked back on the UFC after watching this, they're done with MMA. And I can't help you. That being said, that was the good. We'll say just a quick end note for, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, both Zhang and Jurjacek have received 60-day medical suspensions. 
Because understandably so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- there's no question. You can find the pictures online of Jacek's forehead mm-hmm. and the hematoma she had and how it looked like it literally it was a scene from Alien with a, like a second head coming out of her forehead. Yeah, like I saw, I wasn't able to watch Fight because I had some other stuff going on, but I opened up Facebook the next morning and the comparison photo was one of the first things I saw. And honest to God, I saw the f- comparison photo and my first thought was, oh my God, did her head get caved in? Yeah. Because that's what it looked like. Well, Zhang was just nailing power shots <coughs> that she was connecting. It, was, it wasn't like she wasn't connecting anything. Because Jacek was nailing her combos in her sleep. Like, she was looking so precise with her striking mm-hmm. that it was giving Zhang fits. But Zhang was still pressing the action, and she was doing what she needed to do to try winning the fight. And I, like I say, I can't argue it. I can't say that she didn't earn that win. She absolutely did. And that's why I say they need to run this back. Because I hate when they have classic matches like this, and we don't run it back for like a year. Because... You, t- you really take the the moment out of the the fight when it's a sequel like that, right? This it just needs to be an immediate rematch. No argument there. However soon you can do it, yeah. Let's make it happen because, like I yeah. said, that was the good of the fight card. The ugly was the knockout, and now we have to go to the bad. Yeah, because this was real bad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anybody for ballroom dancing? Uh, yeah, the main event, of course, was the middleweight championship matchup between Israel Adesanya. Uh, taking on challenger Yoel Romero uh, with Israel Adesanya retaining his championship via unanimous decision, 48-47, 48-47, and 49-46. Coach, do you have any thoughts before I go ranting on this? Well, I just I, I want to just kind of dive into the the, I, the <coughs> minds of, of a fighter being in a big fight like that. So, I mean, maybe, you know, Mike, you know, common man, would be able to, to better explain the thought process that goes into something like that because – you know, going into the fight, I mean, obviously being a, you know, mild to, you know, moderate UFC fan versus you, you know, mm-hmm. Ken, the, you know, the advent, you know, uh, UFC watcher, um, you know, and I watched the early days, like the Chuck Liddell days, like I knew a lot more, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and, sure. and since that point, you know, I've kind of uh, stepped back a little bit from it. But, you know, I almost feel like now you know, in these big fight fields where, you know, we talk about the fight that, you know, either one of these guys have such dangerous hands that, you know, if they if they get a hold of each other, it's going to be the fight's going to be over. You know, like they're both dangerous hands, you know, both dangerous fighters. So I almost wonder if, like, going into those kind of fights with both guys being so dangerous, is it almost like a – and the, and the controversy here is obviously the first 45 seconds of the fight. Mm-hmm. Where literally, and I mean the whole fight was controversial, but literally the first forty-five seconds where they literally didn't even touch each other. Yeah, as I say, you know, pick, pick, Google YouTube search uh, some ballroom dancing music, find a clip of the thing, and put it to it. It, it works perfectly. Is there almost a fear of, uh, you know, the potential of leaving yourself open during that early feeling out period that you might get knocked out? That fighters feel like they need to do this because you don't see this in the fights of lesser. Um, lesser stature, you know, yeah. like those yeah. early card fights, those guys are going out trying to make a name for themselves and they're going full tilt, you know, but in these kind of fights with this big fight feel, dangerous guys, big hands, big throw, you know, big punch power, you you see this a lot, you know, you yeah. see this real timid yeah. feeling it out process and then all of a sudden the next thing you know, you're 45 seconds in and both guys are still kind of feeling it out where it's like, 
all right, guys, let's yeah. put her patter here. It, you know, let's get at her. It's not uncommon to see, like you said, the feeling out period where they might not do anything for their first, you know, 45 seconds or so. They're trying to get the timing down and get this down. Yeah, r- I know rhythm. I know John's notorious for it. You, mm, you, you absolutely. Pick, pick oh, a, certain fighters are, yeah. Pick a John Jones fight where he's defending his belt, and that's going to absolutely happen in the first round. But I think what may have happened here is Yoel might have psyched himself out on this one where he might have overthought it or maybe, you know, sat in his head a little too much and just psyched himself out and just, for whatever reason, didn't throw a punch. You know, to John's credit, though, he's a surgeon in there. Yeah. You know, I mean, his feeling it out process literally is because he is like like a computer. He's yeah. literally data crunching while you're in there with him right now trying to pick apart the pieces that he sees. These guys, though, are they're not that kind of fighter. So it was like really when I saw that first 45 seconds of the opening round after you sent it in the group, Josh, I was like, oh, no, that's not good. No, the thing about this fight, which to kind of give a little backstory behind it, Adesanya is the closest thing we're having to a second coming of Anderson Silva. Adesanya is that good, undefeated, and really wants to go for a legacy fight, and that's why he took the fight against Romero. Romero has been on a losing streak, but if you really want to debate the fights he's lost to Robert Whitaker and Paulo Costa, they could have gone either way. Their decision. In fact, the Whitaker one was a split that a lot of people thought right. he had won. Right. So going into this fight, nobody wanted any part of Romero. Romero is like a literal man of steel, and he is a counter puncher, which is going to play into effect of how I'm breaking this fight down. Mm-hmm. Adesanya could have waited around for Costa, to get healthy because Costa is currently rehabbing an injury. That being said, he wanted legacy. He's like, everybody's afraid of Romero. I'm not afraid of Romero. Which good for you. Which is yeah. great. It's great that he took the fight. I mean, he came out to, you know, the weird uh, flower pageantry and, and such, which I which I understand he's trying to be a little more <coughs> boxing theatrical when he comes to the cage. Okay, sure. Sure. But once you get in that cage, if you're the one saying you want this fight and you want to be the aggressor. You, you want the smoke. And you want the smoke like the Street Profits say in the WWE, you have to back that up. Yeah. You're going to talk a big game, and you're going to you know, carry a big stick. You better be ready to swing it. Yeah, because in the first round, Romero stood there waiting because he is a counter puncher. Now, Adesanya's game is like Anderson Silva and John Jones. We want to break it down like that. Yeah. They do the feeling out process. They kind of say, okay, how's the opponent going to do? Well, what happens when you have two counter punchers in there? Well, somebody's got to be the aggressor. Now, if you're the one talking all that trash, that you want legacy, and you are not afraid of them, you need to step up, and you need to strike. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, you're a counterpuncher, Ken. What do you do? This is where your mouth kind of has to write that check, and you need to cash it Yeah, because you need to get in there and attack because there was a combined, if I did my math right, I'm not looking at the exact stats right now. There was a combined 13 strikes thrown that first round. That's gross. Between two fighters. Exactly. So yeah. you want That's gross bad yeah and it was more of the same in the second round but the guy who was throwing albeit though it had no sense of urgency but he was connecting was romero which is the weirdest thing to me because he had no foot movement going in with this fight right and and i kind of got to kind of point to something dana said afterwards which i'm i'm not going to directly sure. quote him because i can't remember everything he said but i i, I so really paraphrase it, yeah. i'll paraphrase and i really agree with what he said he kind of he didn't kind of crap on romero but he kind of called him out a little bit where 
you know, you're in a championship fight where it potentially could be the last championship fight of his career because as we sit here recording, he's 42. He'll be 43 at the end of April. Yeah. He's got more fights behind him than he probably does ahead of him. Mm -hmm. So the championship opportunities he's got in his future are few and far between. You know, Dana basically said, you can't leave anything to chance. You can't leave anything in the octagon. You've got to lay it all out there and, and just basically go for it. Don't wait. sit there waiting for your opponent to do something. If your opponent's not doing something, go for him. Oh, I fully agree with that because he was waiting too long because he wanted to try dictating the pace of the fight. <coughs> and that is a problem that I will, I will stress on him because there's, there's two faults in this fight overall. Adesanya talking and saying he wants legacy and this, that. You needed to establish that you were that guy and you could strike and you could definitely start picking him apart. You needed to be an aggressor in your own right because had the judges called it a different way, because as we've talked about many times on this show, if you leave it in their hands, you never know what the hell you're going to get. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, Romero, this is your last shot. This is your eight-mile speech. If you have one shot, you're going to let it slip? You did because you pl tried forcing your will and you didn't make it happen. You connected on a couple shots and especially in the third round, or no, it was the second round rather, he hit him with an overhand right and staggered him to the point where Adesanya was clearly hurt. Mm -hmm. Now, coach, you've seen enough fights. Sure. If, you're in a, if you attack somebody and you stagger them in a fight, what do you do? Oh, you got to go in for the kill. That I mean, that's something that drives me nuts. When guys, you know, get them staggered and they, you know, kind of let them what come to their feet. Now? or Yeah, or they kind of just let them, you know, if they go to the ground and you can see that they're in a haze, they, yeah. you know, especially like for a guy who's a Muay Thai guy. Yeah. We're not Muay Thai, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, Muay Thai. Right, like, right. they'll go to the ground and, and they'll, they're afraid that they'll get caught in something. It's like, go finish the fight. Yeah. Pad. Like, if the man's falling down backwards, off, bouncing his head off the mat, and you're like, oh, no, I better not get the up kick. Like, yeah. seriously. Yeah. Go for it. Like, go for broke if you get caught with one. Shrug it off, dude. Well, that was the thing, because Romero staggered him, and he let him stand. He yeah, did not jump You on. can't do that. And once he did that, that's when the fight, I believe, swayed to Adesanya, who all he was doing was throwing leg kicks. Mm -hmm. Not devastating leg kicks, albeit, though, there was welts forming on uh, Romero's thoughts. That, say that they piles up. Well, it didn't affect him too bad because somebody asked him in the post-fight presser how his legs were feeling. He got up and did the salsa. Well, that's the thing. He did a victory I mean, of the salsa. I mean, he, he, he was wearing the scars, but he wasn't hurt by them. And then when it came to the fifth round, because I'm going to jump ahead because literally that's all this fight was, was two rounds went to Romero, two rounds went to Adesanya, and then however you want to describe that abysmal fifth round where Romero, at the end of it, literally threw his hands down and was screaming at Adesanya to hit him. I mean, to be fair, the fans were probably saying that to Romero in the first round. Oh, they were all screaming. The, the fans, you turned a very rabid... UFC crowd into a mob scene almost because they were just screaming to do something. I mean, this it's to be your main event. It's to be expected. This fight, of course, took place at the T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. Much like we say with wrestling, and for any wrestling fans, you got the smart cities: you Chicago, Philly, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. You know, the Vegas folks—they're very smart. They're, yeah, they're, they're not going to sit there and just like, oh, hey, we're watching what we're watching. No, they'll make their opinions heard. Exactly. So, why both coaches were not telling their fighters respectively to go in for it? 
was very puzzling to me. Yeah, I mean, oh. the, the coach should have been sitting there going, you fucking suck right now. Go yeah. for broke. Well, I think that's to more so say how we've been talking about the change in scoring yeah. where maybe they post, you know, at least maybe a, a give an inkling of where the fight is. So, like, you know, both fighters could know, all right, it's a 2-2 and now we're going to the fifth. Or maybe, I mean, I don't know, like maybe even if it's a, a tie – have something where like it's a you know the judges scorecards a tie we're going to the fifth and then like that fifth round is just like scored on its own i know we're getting off topic here but like that like that maybe that's the solution there had to be something in there because both camps i thought did this fight very badly because the judge because again like as a coach you know you're I, yes, you know who the judges are there judging your fight. You know, you you know, you can kind of get a back, especially if you're a good coach. You can get a pattern and a development for like what how they score fights. So you know, going in, all right, this guy looks for this. Mm-hmm. This guy's looking for that. So like both guys could be under the interpretation that you know their fighters are doing the things that are satisfying the judge's scorecard that they probably thought. That one was ahead of the other, you know, and they don't know, so that's why it's it's tough on the coach to be like, "Hey, you need to go in. You got to knock out. You know, it's go for broke." It, because what if he was wrong? He goes for broke, gets countered, gets knocked out, and all of a sudden it's like scorecard was actually two, you know, three two him. But you know, the thing about that is, it's always tough to try trusting what a judge is thinking, and that, and that right. No, no, I mean, no, no, I understand what you're saying completely. I get that. It's a tough line to walk. But if you're in this fight, and with the judging system that you have currently in place, you needed to show octagon aggression and control. Neither fighter did that. Right. You got to play to the rules that are in front of you, and exactly. I and I get that. But you know, at the same time, as a coach, you don't want to be the guy, you know, that sends your guy, you know, sends your dude in for that last round and gets him knocked out because you're like, no, 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 you got press. And then the next thing you know, he gets countered, and you know, he's on his back. But you know, that's the th- the risk you take because at that sure. point, at that point. As crazy as it sounds, the fight a lot of people could have said was tied. They could have said it going in there. So it's like you need to do something. And for Romero, this is your last shot. You had to do something. You didn't even need this. You're lucky you got this title fight. You just lost yeah. your pass too. Yeah. You're on the back end of this. Because let's not forget, if it wasn't for Paulo Costa being injured and then trying to get cleared off of a fake doctor, which is a whole other story. You yeah. look up on your own time. That's real weird. You know, he like you said, he wouldn't be here. And like I said, he's 42, about to be 43 years old. This very well could be his last championship opportunity. Yeah, and the only thing he could argue that he won the fifth round is he challenged, he literally threw his hands down at one point and, and, and started screaming out of you to hit him. Yeah, but I mean, if that's how judges are, you know, viewing. But that's the thing. Judging in MMA is, is right. Just, real or real but suspect. That's the, but that's also a problem. All right, yes, the fight sucked. But what are we talking about now? Now we're talking about what happens after because... Well, judging, but yes, that too. I mean, sure, great segue, me, but, you know, I was saying the judges was the answer, ladies and gentlemen. I was looking for who is the judges. Yes, well, that it it changes every time. So I mean, right, that, that, but that's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem, but I don't think it was the problem affecting this fight per se. It was the problem that the fighters did not give the judges anything to work with. And well, that, where, yeah, that, that too. I mean, that that's my help. driving point with this argument because with the results and how one judge scored at 49-46, uh, I, I, I had nothing. And just hearing Adesanya's excuses, look at the leg. That's all he said in the, in the post-fight interview. Yeah, but look at the leg. I mean, if you ticky-tack a leg. 
Yeah. You know? It, I mean, that, no, you, but you're right because it comes down to the judge's equation and however you want to score it. But this one was a prime example of just how bad a fight could be that literally the judges, depending on who it was, could have gone a different way with it. The fighters did nothing to sell their case about why they should have won. And I understand why they gave it to Asanya because Romero did nothing to argue his yeah. case. It's just he really made Adesanya look bad for a guy that called him out and was screaming legacy and I'm going to knock him out, I'm going to do this. You did nothing. And the, the one fighter who's sitting there on the cage side and he was ready to fight both of them oh, yeah. was Paulo Costa because Costa almost tried getting in the cage after. So, oh, because he was trying to give the fans some entertainment. Exactly. So <laughs> mark my words, when Costa fights Adesanya, Costa's winning that one because Costa is definitely going to go all for broke in this one. But it, to tie in with your point that you are saying about the judges, yeah, the judges, who knows what they're watching, and that's always going to be a problem in MMA. How do we fix it? You have to train judges better. That's the only thing I could say. I was saying also trying to, uh, expecting a judge to be thinking and seeing the fight the same way you, the coach, or you, the fighter, are. you got a better shot of winning the lottery. Right, but with this fight, they gave him nothing to work with. Absolutely nothing. And I understand why the fans were booing. This fight was putting me to sleep. And especially staying up till 3 o'clock on the East Coast to watch it. Thanks to uh, Daylight Savings Time. Yeah, this was not doing me any favors. Thanks to the East Coast getting screwed over with all sporting events. Yeah. But overall, like I say, the fight that everybody should be talking about, and I'm glad they are, was Zhang and Jerjacek. This one can be a wash. And if Adesanya thinks he's ready for John Jones after this one, Aye. forget about it. John's, John will destroy you within two rounds. Uh, I'd say one. No, he'll, t- he'll toy around for the first one, then he'll yeah. push him off. Yeah, that's true. Either way, UFC 248 had a lot to be desired. What was your takeaway on that? Who did you think really won that fight? Uh, I say nobody for the main event, and we need to definitely look at judges, how they're looking at scoring these fights like Coach touched upon. That's a great conversation we need to have on social media. So let's have it up. Hashtag it up, ODPH, and we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's a Hey, this is Vince, the Calaman Toy local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pad, local minute, please. Oh, of course, talk a local minute. We got to talk some Binghamton Devils hockey news because, my God, have they been on a run. Break uh, it down. Looking at their games from this past week, uh, they had a home game Friday against the Penguins where they won by the final score of 6-4. to four. Uh, stayed home on Saturday to play the Lehigh Valley Phantoms and won by the final score of 5-1. to one. Uh, And then Sunday, they traveled down to Scranton to play the Penguins again, where they won by the final score of 3 to nothing. Looking ahead to their games they got this coming week, they've got a game this Wednesday uh, up in Rochester against the Americans, game time 7.05. Friday, they've got a game in... Uh, 
playing the Laval Rockets, uh, game time 7.05. And then they stay up there and play uh, the Rockets again uh, on Saturday, game time 3 p.m. Uh, they return home on March 18th. But we got to talk about the Devils because they were kind of on the ropes. They weren't looking too good. All of a sudden, they've kind of rallied things and they're back into, they're kind of in playoff contention. Last I looked, they were in the fifth seed or fifth in the, their uh, conference. So they're looking really good. It is absolutely crazy to see the turnaround that the, the, the Binghamton Devils have done. Coach, let me throw this crazy stat at you. Okay. All right. What do you think the Binghamton Devils record is since December? I'm going to assume that they have They have five losses. During this period, I have no idea how many games they've played. So total, they've played uh, sixty-one games overall. They, I looked up these uh, standings. They are uh, in fourth place in the North Division with a record of thirty-three and twenty-four uh, for the season. I'm gonna assume that they've had five losses during this streak. Pad, you got that number? Yeah, they've won thirty games as of Sunday. Okay, it's absolutely insane. Thirty and nine. Thirty. Yeah. I, that was close. Yeah, 30, close. And, thirty and nine in this stretch. It's pretty so. good. Pretty good. Absolutely pretty crazy. Good. Shout out to the Devils, man. They're making playoff talk. Yeah. Don't want to jinx anything, but. No, yeah, they're looking really good. And also got to mention, uh, since baseball season is almost upon us, we are one month away from uh, Binghamton Rumble Ponies opening day. Oh, a lot of stuff going on. So, uh, I do know uh, individual game tickets are on sale. Uh, for more information on that and information on the 2020 All-Star Game, which is taking place here in Binghamton for AA Baseball in the Eastern League. Uh, more, more information, like I said, bingrp.com. And also Devils, more information and news, binghamtondevils.com. But that's not the only Binghamton team making some moves. More Coach. importantly, playoff time in the ABA is upon us. The Bulldogs playoffs. had playoffs. two games this past weekend with a one victory over the Elmira Eagles on the road, 154-104. to Shout out to Monty Anderson with 34 points, absolutely lighting up the scoreboard. Then they traveled down to Wyoming uh, outside of the Scranton area to face the Wyoming Valley team uh, that is undefeated currently. Unfortunately, the Bulldogs at one point were up in this game, uh, ended up falling 194 uh, to Wyoming. So the Wyoming Valley team clinched the number one seed. I think they're Wyoming Valley clutch. Yeah. They, they clinched the one seed uh, overall and will be accepting the bye into the next round of the playoffs. Uh, the Bulldogs are going to enter the East Regional or Northeast Division playoffs, which they didn't have to do as they are the host site, so they get an automatic bid into the Elite Eight. Um, however, they are going to enter the tournament for the Northeast Division playoff, not only to stay playing going into that because otherwise it's a long time off from March until the end of April when the uh, Elite Eight starts. So they are in the race right now. They will play the winner of the Plotso Shockers versus the Western Mass Zombies uh, at home. That will be a home game there. And other teams in this bracket still are the Syracuse Stallions, who um, are right now probably the perennial favorites, the uh, Camden Monarchs, and the Jersey <coughs> Express. So, again, the Bulldogs, not needing to enter this, opted to do that. Now, if they win, they will not only get the automatic qualifying bid, but this uh, basically eliminating a second team out of the Eastern Division. I wonder why they would do something like that. Hmm. 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 
interesting. Hmm. The, yeah. plot, the plot thickens. But the plot thickens. So that will be a home game. It looks like that tentative date is March 21st. I do believe that tickets uh, were announced to be on sale for that game. So if you are looking to uh, get into uh, a Binghamton Bulldog playoff game, that would be the year one guarantee to have right now because if Camden wins, uh, they would be on the road the following weekend in the semifinals. Yeah, so obviously shout out to the Binghamton Bulldogs. It's it's chip season, so lot, I mean a lot of pressure to bring the chip home. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. especially if Binghamton is going to be hosting the Elite Eight. Yes, that you know we want to see our guys there. So definitely make sure if you can get out to the Binghamton Bulldogs. Games when they're playing, definitely go support them. And for more information on everything Binghamton Bulldogs, Coach. Uh, you could check their website, which is out there, or their very, very active Facebook page, which would probably be better off for you. Facebook.com slash Binghamton Bulldogs. Definitely have to re- recommend that. And also have to give a quick plug, eight-year anniversary of Excite hey, Wrestling. Yeah, yeah tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous show Great going show. down this past Saturday after the Dark Order Parade on Parade Day. Yeah. Starring some certain wrestlers from AEW, all elite wrestling. So they kicked off the day downtown Binghamton and then brought the action to the X. So Shankar with possibly the greatest entrance oh, I've man, seen in pro wrestling. Top, that was top shelf. That yeah. was so good. Yes, it was absolutely out of control, his uh, homage to The Undertaker. And uh, they started strong with that night. I mean, <coughs> great showing at yeah. the X, especially with it being parade day. Three-hour show. That was little on the long side for my son who couldn't quite handle the three-hour wrestling show but right but they def- <laughs> they definitely brought in some great action and especially yeah. the one finish what the firemen's carry into a canadian destroyer oh, it's, nuts. it's absolutely crazy i am just waiting to hear when moose says this is on independentwrestling.tv uh so you can definitely check it out if you live out of the 607 area and you definitely want to check out some independent wrestling so they have a lot of things going on the x was definitely packed that night i mean we had our Friends down there from Three Fat Nerds. We had Floodlands was down there representing. Shout out the robots. Just incredible cosplay was down there with, with Crisis Cosplay. So many people down at the episode yeah. night, man. It yeah, was it definitely was packed. It was good showing for you know uh, eight year anniversary show. Yeah. You know they've had since the moving to the mall, they've had quite the turnout, which is yeah. a credit to them and the product that they put on. I mean, obviously. Wrestling is not the same that it was eight years ago. So the fact that they can survive as an independent wrestling group uh, in the market area that we are in in Binghamton is uh, a testament to them and their product. Absolutely. Johnny Moose and Team Extreme or Team Excite, should I say, definitely is bringing it every month at the X. So if you're not down there and you live locally, you should definitely check it out. And like I say, they are on independentwrestling.tv and use the code uh, Excite, X-C-I-T-E, for I believe it's now five free days. Oh, all right. So there's some more information on that. You can definitely check out ExciteWrestling.com or their very active Facebook page, facebook.com slash ExciteWrestling. So shout out to Moose. Shout out to everybody down at the X because they're making some moves. And their next show will be... April 11th, I believe, because it's going to be the week after WrestleMania. Okay. So it's going to be a little change because they usually do the first Saturday of the month. And the only thing that we know is that apparently Team Excite at the end of the show angered the most evil of darkness from the Dark Order. Oh, boy. So foreshadowing, I guess, who's going to be coming to the 607. Wonderful. Who knows? Just saying. That would be something. 
It would be something. So for more information on who's going to be coming to the X next month, ExciteWrestling.com. So let us round these bases and take it home, Pad. i got a couple of baseball things to talk about. One, first of which being an update to the one I mentioned last week about Christian Yelich's contract. Got an interesting tidbit about that contract, folks. Back paid money. Uh, defer. I defer. Deferred money. Uh, The man is going to be getting paid by Milwaukee through 2042. Well into the sun goes supernova, ladies and gentlemen. He will be getting paid until he's 50. So there's a lot of numbers here that I won't throw at you because I'll be honest, when I saw the article, I had to call up a financial guy and have him explain it to me because there's a lot of numbers here. So I'll just kind of keep it simple for you. Uh, if the there's a buyout in the contract that if it's owed uh, the 30 million, there will be $30 million in deferred money will be paid in 12 installments of $2.5 million each July 1st from 2031 <laughs> to 2042. However, on the flip side, if the buyout is not owed, then he'll get uh, $28 million in 11 installments of $2.3 million each year from July 1st from 2031 to 2041. And a final payment of uh, $2.3 million will be on July 1st, 2042. Either way, that man is going to be getting paid by the folks in Milwaukee for a very long time. Real quick, how long till baseball tries to put a kibosh on that? Because that's very similar to what uh, Bobby Bonilla. Bobby well, Bonilla. No, it's very similar to what the <laughs> NHL was doing with its star ta- talent, like Sidney Crosby, who you know his first seven, he had like eleven year deal, and all the money was deferred until like year nine, ten, and eleven. So it'll be very interesting say, to see. If memory serves, the Mets are still on the hook for Bobby Bonilla. I want to say for like another fifteen years. Well, they changed that real quick in the NHL. So I mean, you got it because you got to. I mean, come on, doesn't that make sense if you're a team like Milwaukee? That you know you're a fledgling market. That if you can get a star player like that, but uh-huh. defer, you know, ninety percent of the contract until you know forty years later. Yeah. Doesn't that make sense for you to do? I, I had to look it up. Yeah, no, the Mets are still technically playing Bobby Bonilla, who hasn't played in the Major League Baseball since two thousand. He hasn't played in Major League Baseball since two thousand one. They're paying him like one point two million dollars uh, until twenty. I honestly hope this doesn't become a. Pattern. It, it's very rare. Right. Bobby Bonilla was the one you didn't really see it for a lot of years. Um, obviously, Christian Yelich has it. There was somebody else in the last couple of years that got it. I can't remember who, but it's a very rare thing to do just because a lot, right. a lot of teams don't like to do it, and they don't. Uh, well, you know, rightfully so. You know, you look at a situation like with the Yankees when they had Jacoby Ellsbury, and they were still technically on the hook for Jacoby Ellsbury, but they worked their way out of that. You know, the teams hate having to pay for players that honestly aren't really doing anything for them. So, hey, if you're Milwaukee and you're okay with doing it, more power to you. Uh, flip, yeah, flip side, um, Barry Bonds was in the news, although not for anything, you know, revolutionary or, or unexpected. Uh, he did an interview with the athletic where he basically said, uh, he feels major league baseball has given him a quote death sentence. He's, uh, uh, he said, quote, if they don't want me, just say you don't want me and I'll be, and be done with it. Just be done with it. Hey, we don't want you. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, you know, before he started taking steroids, you know, and now admittedly. He's never admitted to it. He said, "Oh, I took, I took a, the cream in the clear. I, t- I took, you know, flaxseed oil. You know, he's never admitted to it. But before he's, we all know he did it. I mean, Christ, look at his body size and his head size. Mm-hmm. You know, before he started taking steroids in San Francisco, he was already one of, if not the best players in baseball for his time. Yeah, didn't need it, 
but started taking it once Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco and all them started doing it, and, and he kind of lost the whole thing. If you really want to dig into Barry Bonds's mess, because there's a long mess. He burned a lot of bridges. He annoyed a lot of folks. There's a very good reason that nobody in baseball wants anything to do with Barry Bonds. He was very toxic wow. in clubhouses. He burned a lot of bridges. If you really want to know anything anything and everything about him, uh, his Wikipedia page has about 15,000 words on it. I'm not going to read them all. You can do that on your own time. Yeah. Wow. It, it's a mess. I mean, I, you think of all the guys from the steroid era, that you know, the, the A-Rods and the McGuire's and Sosa's and Bonds. You know, you look at the folks who have come out and admitted to it, like A-Rod, like McGuire, and and they've kind of come out on the better end of this, where you look at guys like Clemens and Bonds and Palmero, and they're kind of on the outs. Really, nobody wants anything to do with them anymore. Well, I mean, people are willing to accept and forgive when you're willing to admit the mistakes that you did. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, Andy oh, yeah. Pennant was what? I mean, that after his whole... You know, stage and uh, confession. Yeah, he literally. I mean, all was forgiven midway yeah. through that season. You know, yeah. so the it's literally it's just a PR thing. The more that you're willing to get in front of the story, the better off you're going to be. And the more that you deny, deny, deny. Yeah, and and especially you look at Bonds. Bonds. While a lot of people, myself included, don't agree that he has the home run record. Mm-hmm. In this, in the record books, he's got the home run record. He broke the record. There, I remember for a lot of years, and when you watch highlights of games in San Francisco, there was that plaque out by where he hit, you yeah. know, seven fifty six. You know, and once he retired, any mention and any like image of him was gone from the stadium, and you didn't see him for a lot of years. Until within the last couple of years, when they were honoring somebody, I can't remember who they were. I can't remember who they were honoring, but they were honoring somebody that he played with or, or knew or what, whatever it was. And that was like the first time you saw him back. Mm. That that like for a lot of years, even in San Francisco, which you know, if there was ever one place that loved him during kind of his tumultuous years in the in the majors and in, in his playing career, it was San Francisco. San Francisco loved that man till the death, and and they wiped him out from existence. So I mean. You reap what you sow. Exactly. No real sympathy for that. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. On to the next one. Mm-hmm. That's the way I kind of treat that. Yep. Coach? In the uh, same sp- uh, same season, different sport, uh, lacrosse time, guys. Uh, in the long battle of the Major League Lacrosse versus the Premier Lacrosse League, uh, the Premier Lacrosse League just struck the biggest blow. Uh, the long-awaited uh, announcement uh, worst kept secret in all professional sports. Rob Pinnell, uh, one of the world's best players, has announced that he will be uh, entering the 2020 entry draft for the Premier League. Uh, really big blow to Major League Lacrosse as he was probably the biggest name that the sport had left or that league had left at the time outside of Lyle Thompson. Um, now joining you know, the league that obviously had a great um, run, you know, this last season as far as attendance and uh, media attention and everything. Uh, some other names that joined him in this were, uh, you know, big names, at least from the lacrosse standpoint, if you're a lacrosse fan, uh, Zach Courier and um, his name's escaping me now, uh, Dylan Ward, uh, the Canadian team uh, goalie for the World Games. So obviously the Premier League growing, just announcing a new team. Uh, their partnership with Barstool Sports and the boys over at uh, Part of My Take. So growing in popularity, 
I mean, not much else you can say other than it's only inevitable that the uh, Premier League will absorb the MLL. I mean, there's just no way when you don't have any star power in a day and age where star power matters Mm -hmm. to be able to stay uh, in front of the media, especially when you talk about the Premier League and their deal with NBC. You know, it's just when you have a media component behind you, as you've seen with the XFL, doesn't matter what your ratings are, as long as you're getting attention and eyes on you, you're always going to be there. And that's what they need. And they're Yeah, immediately... especially in a sport that's fledgling like it is. Yeah, it's all you need. That's exactly what I was going to say. So they got to make some moves, and obviously if they get absorbed, it's it's inevitable, but... Well, it's good for the players. Yeah, I mean, if it thing. does, if it in, if it ends up happening that way, it's only good. It's only beneficial for the fans, especially. I mean, you look at the AFL NFL merger. You know, back in the in the sixties, it only made the product better for the NFL. So it can well football as a whole. So I mean, the and the ABA NBA merger, the same thing in the seventies. So I mean, just now you're going to be able to say that. You know, oh, this league was better, that league was better. Now you're going to be able to say, you know, this was the best team instead of having that division among fans. And, I mean, really, in 2020 for lacrosse, you know, it's all about, quote-unquote, growth of the game. The only way to grow the game is by having one professional league that everybody rallies behind and and is the focal point and the attention of the sport. So, We'll see. You know, I mean, it's a long road ahead. Obviously, MLL is in year like 15 or year 20, actually, and uh, the Premier League is in year two. So it's an interesting time in that sport right now. Yeah, so it'll be something to watch as moving forward, man. Yeah, I I mean. mean, You had it right in the head. So that being said, let me close out with a little more wrestling talk because this past weekend was <laughs> WWE Elimination Chamber. So we'll just kind of give a quick go around about reaction to the matches. Sure. So let's start off. I'm not even talking about the Zack Ryder match there that opened up. Yeah. Zack so, Ryder had a match? Exactly. Okay. So let's go. Daniel Bryan defeated Drew Gulak. Thoughts on this? Nuts matchup. Yeah. Nuts, nuts match. Holy cow. Can we get like a best out of five series from these two? Yeah. I absolutely. mean, that would probably be the way to go, and I'm sure both – both guys would be up for it, you know? Yeah, no, this was absolutely spot on perfect. Uh, except Brian took a very nasty oh, man, neck bump. that German yeah. suplex. Yeah. yeah, that suplex he, he did not Not quite take. like a belly-to-belly that we saw, but, you know. Yo, yeah. the, the one shot at the Excite, salute to you, sir, for getting up and being able to <laughs> function after. Yo. That was a crazy bump. But this match was definitely everything you wanted to see out of these two. It was a true classic clinical match. And, I mean, was... What? It's what professional wrestling could be if guys were yeah. allowed to be professional wrestlers. Yes. Right. And they delivered on it, and they showed that this could, I hope, doesn't be one and done. I you hope this builds on something. don't need a spot fest. You don't need, you know, flips and dives and bumps yeah. and, and jumps. You Very just nice, need, but you don't always need it. Yeah, you just need two guys in there just doing, you know, moving to a pace mm-hmm. that, yeah. can, 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 that can keep the fans' uh, attention and, and wrestle, you yeah. know? And they showed they could do it. So, I mean, this was probably arguably the best match of the night. But this card was very deceptively good, I would say, considering right. it was a throwaway card. The next matchup was for the United States Championship, and that was your champion Andrade returning to take on Umberto Carrillo. Uh, thoughts on this match? It went exactly the way I, feel, I thought it would. No surprises here. Right. Yeah, no real surprises here. Andrade retains. Great setup for what I'm guessing is going to be the fatal four-way at Mania. Which, which what we talked about, which yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, that's the only match I think you can do at this point. The Philly crowd, as this t- uh, mat- or card was taking place in Philadelphia, was definitely appreciative of the early moments of this card. And going into the first Elimination Chamber match of the night for your SmackDown Tag Team Championships. So 
You had Challengers, The New Day, uh-huh. The Usos, yep. Lucha House Party, Heavy Machinery, and the law firm of Ziggler and Rude against Miz and Morrison. Uh-huh. Thoughts on this match? Jesus Christ, that spot with, what was it, Lucha House Party on the top of the the cage, pod, whatever you want to call that thing? Good Lord. Yeah, I mean, tag matches in the Elimination Chamber are always crazy because of the number of bodies that are in there. Uh-huh. Um you know, I mean, Miz and Morrison, obviously Morrison coming back, repairing with the Miz. They're not going to lose the title, you know, right before Mania. So it's a tough spot to be in for that match. So it kind of was what it was. Yeah, this match, the only things I would really say take away, uh, Lindsay Dorado is a madman. Yeah. For that crazy bump he did. Yeah. Or the, you just go... Google search it. Go find it wherever you find great wrestling footage because I can't even get into how crazy that thing was. And what really stood out to me was heavy machinery. I'm all in on now. <laughs> I, I was I was all I mean, <coughs> yeah. He I mean, Ois is great. You know, I mean, he he's a lot of fun. You know, they're not going to put on the five star matches. Charisma. Yeah, but yes. he really is. I mean, for being the shape that he is in, which is not eye candy, uh, <laughs> to say the least. The dude knows how to operate and move that belly. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think I'd get so much joy out of seeing a person in the ring when they utter three words. Oh, yeah, Tucky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you hear that, you're like, oh, something good's about to happen. Yeah, he has just grown on me, and Tucker Knight stood out in this match. Yeah. Everything from, like, the little, you know, facial back and forth he had going with Ziggler <laughs> to that insane flip he did from the top of the pod, all in on. But Miz and Morrison retained at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Then we had, I would say, probably the most predictable match of the night. Alistair, well, second most predictable match of the night. Alistair Black and AJ Styles, no disqualification. Right. It went exactly the way we thought it would. Exactly. Yep. Very, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Appearance good match, of the Undertaker. But... Yeah, good match. Um, Taker showed up, obviously solidified what they're doing at Mania with him and Styles. What do? And the, I thought, and we were talking about with this, with Rich on the um, wrestling <laughs> show. It looked like Black really hit AJ with that kick at the end. Yeah. Oh. That thing looked brutal. And Aleister Black wins that, so that feud is done for now. So whatever he's going to do for Mania, he's in a good position. I have a feeling he'll be teaming up with Ricochet and going into a tag match. That'd be good because they were really good together as a tag team. Yeah. They were very well yeah. together. Yeah, and possibly a fatal four-way with these gentlemen because the Street Profits were defending their belts against Seth Rollins and Murphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one... Basically, when is what we thought it was going to go? Yeah. Exactly. I yeah. mean, it was just fodder for Mania. You know, it, it's just fodder for Mania, but it, it did enough to put the Street Profits over and set up. Obviously, what we're going to get with Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens, because the majority of this card for WWE Elimination Chamber predictable. It's just it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, especially given the fact that both the main belts weren't anywhere near the card. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's it's just. It, it's a shame too because it could mean so much more. You know, especially oh, yeah. given the fact yeah. that. You know the elimination chamber as a um, as an object is something to behold. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, to me, it's one of the most not Luke, not like prestigious, but it's definitely the you know one of the most uh, inge- uh, in- uh, best inventions that they've had mm-hmm. in the last few years. You know, especially once they got away with war, went away from war games when they brought in WCW and just brought in that cage. Yep. You know, it was the closest thing that w- we were going to have to it until NXT came back with war games. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a shame that it's not utilized to make it mean more. Yeah, I mean, just everything was so set up, and especially where they were teasing about for the main event being um, for who's going to fight Becky Lynch, and which we'll get into just one second. 
Yeah, the elimination chamber is just kind of really falling by the wayside. Yeah, and I think it's. I think it's like Coach said. It's got a lot to do with placement. You know, it's one of the most intriguing, and if it's done right and booked right, oh. in, in, interesting. You know, card mat pay per views they could have, but I think because like Coach said, we're what like just under a month away from WrestleMania. You mm-hmm. already, you, you really can't do anything crazy with the belts and and matchups because it's already booked and signed. I just had an apostrophe. Lightning <coughs> struck my brain. Are you ready for this? Go. TLC, or not TLC, Money in the Bank, should be this pay-per-view. Ooh. Boom. It would oh, have, my. Then you don't need the belts. Yeah. And you have literally the guy who wins the Money in the Bank get the have yeah. the cat have the you know briefcase in hand going into Mania. Yeah. Whoa. The only thing with that, I, I agree, that would be a great idea. Because that match can carry itself. But would Vince go Rumble, Money in the Bank, Mania, back to back to no. back? Well, I mean... That that would be my only only thing. With right, that. but I mean, really, though, Mania... I mean, the Rumble only sets up the guy to have the title match, right? Yeah. Money in the Bank doesn't mean he has to cash in. You know, it's just the guy carries the briefcase for the year. And I mean, it is the new year. So it would literally be like almost a restart, you mm-hmm. know, on the thing because the Rumble is the year before, you know, and and now you have what would be Money in the Bank be the first or second pay per view of the year. Yeah, I mean that's a hell of a way. It's a good to way to catch some lightning in the bottle. Oh, I agree. Like I say, it, oh, it's, it's, man. It's, it's an interesting concept. I'm not. I'm use, not go ahead, use this, guys. Just give me credit when you use it. Exactly. I love the idea. So we'll definitely have to continue that going on social media later after the show. But to wrap up about Elimination Chamber, probably the biggest upset of the night was your Intercontinental Championship. Yeah. Which you had the team of Sami Zayn, Cesaro, and Shinsuke Nakamura all facing the champion Braun Strowman. Whoever got the pin was your champion. Yeah. And the shock of all shocks, Sami Zayn is your end new Intercontinental Champion. Don't get hurt. Yes. Just weird. Yeah. I mean, a triple threat handicap match to... You know, so and then what do you do with the Intercontinental title? Are you going to put all three of them that are just in a faction together up against each other, or do you have a replay of this now, where it's the three of them against Braun again? You do a four-way Mania. Yeah, but they were just put together. Yeah, like you just you just put them together. Now you're pulling them apart because the only reason I th- I say you do that is you can hit the reset button and send some people to NXT, and I have a feeling that Nakamura is going down. I could see that. I that's that's my feeling about this. That'll be a fatal four way. Braun will get the big win, the big pop in Mania. Maybe I don't know. I'd like to see Sammy get a good run, but obviously injuries have plagued him since he signed with the WWE. Right. So just to see the fact that he got a belt after f- his last one of five years ago when he was NXT champion. Mm-hmm. Let that sink in for a sec. And then the main event was the women's Raw number one contender uh, <laughs> match, which we all knew was yeah. Shayna Baszler versus yeah. everybody. Yeah. Uh, she defeated Natty, uh, Liv Morgan, <laughs> Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, and Asuka. Uh, thoughts on this match? Anything. Uh, I mean, I, I thought I knew where they were going, and uh, they ended up doing it the next night, you know, but I thought they were going to do it that night at Elimination Chamber with Sarah, Liv, and Ruby because all they're all in the in Elimination Chamber match together. This is how they're going to set up their match at Eliminate, uh, for Mania, you know, whatever it ends up being. But I'm kind of sitting there going, okay, if you're going to have Shayna be that dominant, why even put him in the matchup? Like, yeah. Why? I just think it's funny that now Paul is, you know, in control of Raw. And 10, 15 years ago, he wanted to use the same thing for Punk. 
in the ECW Elimination Chamber. You know, they get they put the kibosh on it, and now here he is, 15 laters back in charge again of a brand. And the, you know, he uses the storyline that he wanted to use. Yeah. Uh, I I just think it's a tough position because obviously it was just it was clear as day what they were trying to do. I mean, you don't have Blazer debut on Raw bite Becky and not let Becky get her comeuppance back at her. So it was like it was clear where they were going to go, and it put Blazer in a tough position because now, you know, you have her be so dominant and everything that she basically just got go away heat. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, now if she ain't over, she's go away over. Well, the only thing I had issue with this match is I thought for how they got released from the pods, I thought that Shayna should have been last and then ran through everybody to be that monster yeah. that monster uh, heel. Which probably would have made more sense instead of running through everybody individually. Well, the fact that she ran through everybody individually, I get. But I also think that the other um, wrestlers in that match should have had more time. Right, and, but and, and, and that's but, what I'm saying. Like Her coming out last would make sense because yeah. now they can get their shine, but then when she comes in, yeah. it's like she individually is able to just to choke them out maybe while people aren't looking or maybe her just, you know, her her choke is that tight that like you have no choice but to tap out, you know, like nobody can come save you. Yeah. So like that could have been the story that was told instead of, you know, what was done. It, it would yeah. have been better, but we would have been robbed of the great moment where Shayna was sitting on the turnbuckle waiting for Asuka to come out, and Asuka had absolutely turned up her just craziness to 11 and was standing there screaming at her in Japanese from the pod to the point where, like, the mics were picking it up. And I was like, all right, this is great. I just wish they gave those two more time. But I have a feeling, we were actually talking about it was with Rich on the show, is that's going to be your feud after Mania. Oh, you're going to see this again. Yeah, yeah. you're going to see Becky and I, or no, I mean Asuka and Shayna, <laughs> which I'm going to be here all day for. So overall, I mean, I'm not convinced Becky loses, though. Either. I am. I am. Oh, yeah, fully no, locked yeah, in. Yeah. I think she will. I don't know, man. I mean, she, she. it's not that she's she's not over as she once was, mm-hmm. but she's still, you know, the face of the two. Yeah. And Becky, and, and listen, Vince is very fickle. Yeah. And if the fans don't take the Becky after this match, now he will very quickly pull that plug. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. So overall, the card... Was a pretty predictable one. Had a yeah. couple moments. A solid one, though. A lot better than expected. Yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, the matches were good, which is nice. You know, if you're not going to get the shock and awe of wins and losses, at least having solid in-ring work, you know, can help make a pay-per-view better. Yeah. I guess, you know. Absolutely. So, for more in-depth breakdown of this card and everything wrestling, hop on over to the 3 Fat Nerds pod network and definitely hear the wrestling show because Rich and I deep-dived into the card and then some. So, it's always worth a listen to talking some wrestling. That being said, the music you heard on this episode of the ODPH podcast is out of Fair City Fire. They're friends of the show. You can find out all about them and Second Suitor, Shout at the Robots, Walking Distance, Honker, Floodlands, all on the music section of OchoDuroParleyHour.com. You can also check out Parley Points, the commentary blog section to the podcast. The ODPH directory, which has links to friends of the show, such as Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, Excite Wrestling, Photography by Mike Blakesley, all the individual pod groups that we are in. So shout out to Pod Nation, shout out to the Apocalypse community, shout out to Legion Indie Pods, shout out to Next Wave. Shout out to everybody who has been supporting the ODPH since day one and also recently added to the OchoDuroParleyHour.com homepage is a button to find out everything going on for live stream for The Cure May 27th through May 31st. Epic Film Guys are running this. They do an awesome job. It's a streaming podcast marathon to raise money for cancer research, and I just 
got the email from Nick from Epic Film Guys. The ODPH will be participating in this on Sunday, May 31st. Wow, 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 wow. So this is going to be a big deal for us. I uh, can't thank those guys enough for letting us partake in this. I know Rich from 3FN is going to be part of it. Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming are going to be doing one hour. We're going to be raising some money for cancer research. So for more information on that, livestreamforthecure.com or just head on over to ochodoroparlayor.com and hit the button. It'll take you to the link so you can definitely support that event when it happens. That's all I got for this week. So for your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. ACC tournament starts tomorrow. Go Notre Dame. For the one only Paddle one J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.